Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday. So we're already sort of getting near halfway through the week. So that's great, isn't it? You can, you can write off the rest of it and just go, let's have a nice time. Today, the heavens open. So that's going to be very exciting. Uh, Johnny Depp's wife, this is Amber Heard, who uh, the more I hear about, the less I like. And do you remember yesterday we were talking about Jonathan Ansell? Uh, from G4, and we were running through Jonathan's gigs for this coming year. Surprise, surprise, Jonathan is a podcaster to this programme, and so he's now now started following me as well. So that's very good. And any time, he said, I'll come in for In Conversation. (coughs) So more on that a little bit later on. I'm not spoilt, says the 11-year-old whose father spends £1,000 on her per month, or is it 11000 Whatever it is, it's a hell of a lot of money on a child. Do you want to spend that much money? She's going to feature on one of these programmes, which basically is rich and bloody spoilt, but they sort of see it as, oh, you know, she's registered for a modelling agency. I saw the picture of her, to be honest with you. I want to be brutally honest. They're obviously not setting their standards particularly high. Having loads of money and spending it on a child is great. That's what you want to do. But for God's sake, don't go on television and show off about it. It makes you look incredibly stupid. It's very worrying. Are they supposed to... Are they, do they do it, you think, people who spend that much money on a child? She's got so many pairs of Prada and so many pairs of this and so pairs of that. I mean, do they think in their shallow existence that we're going, gosh, wish I was as rich as that. Is that? I mean, is that what they think we think? Because I'm telling you, we don't. We look at them, we go, what a poor spoiled child. But she doesn't see it as being spoiled, you know, but the rest of us would see it as being terribly spoiled. What they do with their money is there, but I couldn't care less. They can spend it all on, you know, sort of <laughs> lucky bags or orange melon or anything like that. But don't sort of go in the papers and start telling us about it and rubbing people's uh, faces in it. That just looks uh, looks very silly. And, of course, then they sort of come back and go, you know, we're not, um, we're not showing off about this at all. Of course you're showing off. Of course you're showing off. So yesterday... Yesterday was a very nice day, actually. Very nice day. Whizzed down the motorway. That was good. A little bit of the traffic that I've built up on the motorways. It gets gets more and more ridiculous every time I go down the motorway. But I love it. Love it to pieces. And um, and then after we were talking yesterday about uh, Jonathan Ansell, I, I can't remember. Oh, that's right. It came up because Calabro have had a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a sort of. Um, a disaster. Their lead singer, if you can call him their lead singer, because he's the one who seems to feature quite a lot, uh, got voted out by the rest of the group. They obviously didn't, uh, they didn't sort of want him in there anymore. And I said, there's always one person who emerges as the, the lead singer in a group. It doesn't matter who it is. The rest of the group you don't know, but you know the lead singer. And he was obviously keen on the publicity, which is fine. I didn't, uh, I didn't have a problem with that at all. I thought that was great. And then we thought about Jonathan Ansell. And Jonathan was in G4. And G4 had the same problem. Jonathan was... I mean, I couldn't tell you the names of anybody else in G4, but I know the name of Jonathan, because we've seen him on the television. He married Debbie King, and uh, he's been on various things. And we were running through his his dates, (coughs) which is coming up. Anyway, so he started following me yesterday. And then he wrote to me and said, Steve, always listen to your podcast and laugh today as I came up. How about chatting next time for In Conversation? So, and then he sent me another one. He said, I'm listening on, and I also want to thank you for the plug of the Night in Venice tour dates as well. So I've now got somebody stalking me. That's all I need after the programme. So we have talked to him before, and it was a while ago, and I'll, I'll put the name forward. I don't, I don't want to be rude, Jonathan, but they're, they're, they're going for sort of the sort of people they want on In Conversation as sort of Hollywood A-listers. I know occasionally we don't hit the mark, but I'm not sure whether... And I'll I'll try. I'll try for you, I promise, uh, to put you on there. Because I think it's very interesting to talk about being in a band 
and or a vocal group, and then that finishes. Because there's also G4 tour dates, which I noticed, for 2016. Now, whether or not that's the original lineup or it's another lot of lineup, I, I really don't know. I'm really not sure. G4 stands for Guildford, incidentally, which was the place, the Guildford uh, School of Music, I think, or Guildhall School of Music, one of the two. So, uh, so that was quite nice. I was quite pleased about that, really, because we did say that Jonathan was the pretty one in G4. Uh, and in Calabro, I've just, I just uh, was watching them yesterday on, uh, on YouTube, and they've done some really good things. It's such a shame when things like that finish, because, you know, we know that there's always fighting within groups. We know that somebody sees themselves as getting the most publicity, and the others then resent it. We saw it with the Spice Girls, when, when Jerry picked up her toys and threw them out of the bath, and then stormed off, and everyone went, well, good riddance to bad rubbish. And now she's an old woman, and she, you know, she doesn't seem to have any of the old feistiness that she had before. So whether or not it was an act, or whether it wasn't an act, I don't know. The Spice Girls are now a threesome. I don't think you can go out as a trio. Although somebody said that they've been in the studio and they've written what can only be described as a, as a, as a hit. Number one, they say. It could be a number one hit. But with three of them, is that going to work? I don't know. Uh, there's also a boozer in court. What do you do with somebody who's been in court? Not once, not twice, not 20 times, not 50 times, not even 100 times. This one's been in court for his 448th appearance. I mean, surely by now, somebody's having a bit of a luck. Can we just leave him in prison? Make it very easy, wouldn't it? And football's coming home after 100 years. This is an historic football. This is an historic football. Not just any old football, but a very special football. And we'll tell you about it. I'm surprised it's still around. Really surprised it's still around. Uh, Dorman Dom says Top Gear is now flop gear. Well, Chris Evans has, has banged back on this one. He said, listen... You know, we, he, he was originally saying we need to get over five million. Anything under that, I'll consider it a bit of a disaster. Well, it got 4.4, then it might have peaked at 4.7, which isn't the same as the original Top Gear, which used to do 5.7s and 5.8s. But either way, it doesn't matter. In their time slot, they were the top show. They've got the biggest rating. They've got 22% or whatever it is. So he's sort of fighting back, saying, da-da-da-da, fact, da-da-da-da, fact, da-da-da-da, fact. And there's nothing you could do about that. You can't argue against the figures. People try and argue against them, but you can't. The trouble is, it doesn't help when you sort of have to keep banging on about it to convince yourself that you've got a hit show. I mean, as you heard Darren say earlier on, uh, Matt LeBlanc is about as wooden as Sherwood Forest. I mean, this man couldn't deliver lines if his life depended on it. The only thing he's famous for is that blooming Friends programme, which went on for God knows how long. I mean, people of that age, all living together... I mean, dear God, the combined age must be well in excess of about 150. So why they picked him, I've got no idea. He doesn't have any sort of likability for us. You know, we, we sort of like our presenters to be a little bit more likeable. A little bit more likeable. Well, I think so, actually. I think so. Um, what else do we have? Oh, yes, Chris Packham offering some very weird advice in the paper. Kids eat tadpoles. Eat tadpoles. I mean, I've often thought that Chris Packham was quite clearly mad as the barrel load of proverbial frogs which are still doing the rounds but he says that they, they should eat them i think he's odd didn't he do one of his programs or he's done quite a few programs weaving in song titles yeah he weaves in clash songs i mean so, and you know he's really posh don't you you know he's really posh he's, he's not he's not working class it's none of this sort of professor green trying to sort of jump your way up the uh, the hierarchy he's really posh he's very very posh you know, very very well-heeled family and things like that. And I was actually talking to well-heeled families. I was going through country life uh, yesterday. And uh, and uh, they've got a thing about some of the oldest families in the country. Do you know who one of the oldest families is? The effing Fulfords. 
Do you remember the effing Fulfords used to feature on the television? Because the entire family, they might be terribly titled and sort of, you know, living on sort of, you know, a pittance. But frankly, their uh, their command of the English language is pathetically awful as they effed and blinded their way through the programme. It was quite sweet to watch uh, a bunch of numpties on the television. But they're one of the oldest families, about 900 years old. Their, their family goes back. And, uh, and they're still around. But they, uh, Country Life omitted to mention the effing Fulfords. They just put in... Uh, the other programme they did, which was looking at titled people in this country. But then I went down to see my brother yesterday, and we were sort of chatting away. I dropped him off stuff for the car boot sale. And uh, I said, I've, I said I've, I've got Ray Liotta in. And he went, oh, right. I said, he went, Ray Liotta? I said, yeah. I said, Who? He said, I thought you meant Rayleigh Otter. I said, what, lot, sort of Hammy the Hamster kind of thing? Rayleigh Otter. I said, no, Ray Liotta. He said, God! He said he features in two of my favourite films. Well, actually, he features in three of my favourite films. One was uh, Goodfellas. The other one was Field of Dreams. If you build it, he will come, which is a fantastic film, which I watched again yesterday, because my brother's given me two copies of the films because he wants them signed. So I'm going to have to ask for signing. And I hate asking for things to be signed. I don't know why I just do. But uh, somebody said to me, Tommy Steele said to me once, he said, it's when people stop asking you to sign something that you worry about it. So, uh, and the other film he was in was Something Wild. That was the film that really pushed Ray Liotta's uh, career forward. It was his first sort of major film. And I thought it was a great film because it features Sister Carol at the end singing Wild Thing. And if you haven't heard Sister Carol singing Wild Thing, you haven't lived. It's on YouTube. She's a, she's a black artist. She called herself at one point, I think, Black Cinderella. Really, so, it's so good, this song. Honestly, it just makes the end of the film. Makes the end of the film. So uh, so that's basically what we're going to do uh, today. KFC. I did do the story yesterday, but what amazes me today is they've got a quote from somebody from KFC. This was given a zero hygiene rating. It was about the filthiest you could get. It was in uh, Wales. Uh, where obviously they weren't that fussy about it. And uh, they had a boiler that had broke for ten days. Ten days! That's quite something, isn't it? you think the moment it breaks, you'd have an emergency person out there. But quite clearly not in this particular one. The place got a zero rating. <coughs> so they then tell them about it. And the quote from KFC was, you know, we've been made aware of it and we've done something about it. What do you mean, made aware of it? Don't you realise when a place looks filthy? I've realised that some of the staff in them look as though they wouldn't actually be able to wash their hands anytime soon. But for goodness sake, I mean, you know, we've been made aware of it and we've done something about it. You should have seen it. The manager should be fired immediately. But of course, the manager probably owns it because a lot of them are franchises now. So that's that's why. It is amazing, though, isn't it? They go, we, we, we've been made aware of it. We've been made aware of it. God. Blimey, honestly. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, I wasn't interested in the three-wheelers nor the Land Rover versus Jeep tug-of-war. The truth is there are more entertaining car shows out there, especially, says uh, Peter, the recently completed classic car show. The, the only thing that I noticed about this show is that it wasn't actually any different from the original Top Gear. It's just it's got a ton more presenters. This one's got eight presenters, I think. I think it's eight. It's only so, so whatever it is, it's a lot of people, and um, and it's cost an arm and a leg, and it's just it's not very good. It's okay. It's a passable show. If we hadn't had Top Gear, we might have liked it, but we've had Top Gear and we've seen the experts doing it. I don't think much as I admire Chris Evans, you can just stick a presenter in a show and it instantly becomes a hit. It doesn't work like that, as Anton Deck proved with that ghastly red and black show, which died on its proverbial. Because they couldn't make a show work, because everybody's going, Anton Deck, or any show that they actually touch is brilliant. But it doesn't work like that. 
It doesn't really. Happy to be part of the spike, says Julie. Uh, the cat didn't let me oversleep. The competition uh, in the same slight, sli- the same time slot as Flop Gear was ballrooms and ballerinas and antique roadshow. Methinks Mr. Evans protesteth too much. Well, I mean, I, I have to be honest. He has to defend his corner. It's his sort of, uh, it's his baby, as it were. So he has to defend it. Why not? Everybody would do exactly the same. I would defend a programme. I'd do exactly, not if I'd spent 650,000 quid on it. It's almost like having a bottomless pit. Let's keep throwing money at it in the hope that you'll all love it. But it's exactly the same. It's the same looking show, just with a few more silly outside broadcast bits, which you don't need. You could do those as spin-off programmes. But because they don't actually know enough about what they're talking about, they don't do it with any interest. I shouldn't imagine there was any script for Jeremy Clarkson. They just all chatted about vehicles that they knew everything about. Whereas quite clearly... Uh, Matt LeBlanc doesn't know diddly squat about anything at all. They've just shoved him on there as a presenter. What What on earth? And who on earth decided to put him on? It just beggars belief. You know, he was never a particularly successful or brilliant actor. We never saw him doing any Shakespeare or anything like that. Why would you pick him? There must be tons of people in this country who can do the job. We don't want a presenter. You want an ordinary person like Jeremy Clarkson. That's what that's what made the show successful. He wasn't a presenter reading a script on a screen. Here is a car. This is the engine. And the talk is that it doesn't do that. He just talks about it. Whereas you watch Matt LeBlanc. I mean, blooming heck. Wooden or what? Like a, like a cupboard, I thought. 16 past four. Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Just watching an elephant being dragged out of a drain. Must be in India or somewhere like that where they've got loads of elephants. And it reminded me of the couple that we saw in the paper the other day who've got a bear who's 47 stone and 7 feet tall and sits with them at the table. I thought, yeah, that's great. Till the cameras are off and then the bear goes... And just swipes at them very quickly. They freed that footballer in Mexico. That was a bit of luck, wasn't it? Arrested a 38-year-old man. I had, I had grave doubts about that story. I thought, oh, God, we're going to find him beheaded, aren't we? Seems to be the latest thing in Mexico. The amount of drug dealing that goes on and the drug wars between the drug barons is, uh, is, is just horrendous. I mean, at one point, I think people were driving out of Mexico City and there was just a pile of heads by the side of the road. Disgusting. Uh, the McCanns are going back into court again. They're challenging this, this policeman, the one who wrote the book accusing them, which they won originally. It's a bit of a complicated story. They won originally. Uh, this is in Portugal. And then a second judge ruled against them. And so now they're going back into court to challenge it again on a, on a legal technicality. I don't know what the legal technicality is. They won't actually tell us. They're just saying it's a legal technicality. But if they lose, they're going to be losing an enormous amount of money. And that will have to come out of the Madeleine Fund which, of course, has still got uh, loads of money in it. So, I don't know. I don't know what you do, really, about the McCanns. Well, you seem to be a bit divided, as indeed you were over the gorilla. And I was equally divided over the gorilla. I've watched the footage, and at one point he does drag. But then they, they would do it with, with little baby gorillas as well. Whether he thought this was a baby gorilla, I don't know. They've tried to sort of make out, you know, the gorilla was holding his hand. But we don't know what the outcome would have been. We don't know because they shot the creature dead. Uh, the reason they couldn't use darts, as you now know, is because it would be too slow acting. And also the gorilla might react badly against it, in which case he could throw the, the child. We don't know. We really don't know. The, I thought the most interesting thing was the woman with exactly the same name in Cincinnati who got targeted by internet trolls saying, you know, what a vile mother she was, letting her son crawl off like that. And she pointed out quite rightly, you can't watch kids 24 hours a day, but a kid of that age, you think you'd have them on some sort of lead, especially at a zoo. But anyway... Uh, this this woman gets trolled. 
And so she, she can't understand why, and she suddenly realises she's got exactly the same name. Exactly the same name as this other woman whose child got into the enclosure. And so she's written back to them. She said hardly any of them would bother replying, because trolls were a bit thick. And, um, and then they, she, she was sort of saying, listen, uh, this is me, this is my daughter, and uh, we've never been to this zoo. We've never wanted to go to that zoo, so we've never been there. But, of course, you'd expect the internet trolls to write back and apologise. But as, as they're generally eaten up with such hatred and bitterness. You know, we had one the other day who, was, uh, who, who thought he was being terribly clever by saying that the Britain's Got Talent magician had ripped his act off from one in America until I pointed out to Thicko of the decade that this is a standard card trick. You can buy this one in a, in a lot of magic shops. A lot of magic shops sell it. And it's just adaptable to anything. So if I wanted a picture of the producer, I'd just have the cards printed with a picture of the producer on it. And at the end, i go, and here's Chris. Blah, 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 you know, and then we, we sort of do it. They go, oh, you ripped that off from America. No, 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 it's a, it's a bog-standard trick. It's like singing somebody else's song, as we pointed out. But this person was too stupid for words. As I say, I love pointing out to the terminally thick exactly how wrong they are. But because they are thick, they don't quite understand it. Uh, Prince Philip, uh, going to miss out on the Jutland ceremony. The doctors have said so. He's going to be 95 after this. 95. Perhaps he's slowing down a bit. I think he's remarkable. I think he's remarkable. I read the interview yesterday with Pete Murray. He's remarkable at the age of uh, 90. And uh, Prince Philip, he's entitled to take some time off. Okay, He might have said, listen, I'm feeling a bit tired. And the doctor said, well, listen, why don't you, why don't you rest? And so he said, yeah, OK, you're, 90, you're 95. You know, rest a little bit. Uh, here we go. We're not flop gear. Evans hitting back 4.4 million tune in, the lowest first show viewing figure in a decade. But it doesn't matter because the first top gear, what I object to, and this might sound a little bit, little bit petty, these people are earning fortunes. Can't they dress up beyond jeans and a dirty looking shirt? Could they not put something on? Perhaps a crisp white shirt? You know, a bit like Piers Morgan? Is it not possible? Do we have to have somebody in a pair of filthy jeans that looks like... They've made no effort to it. Is this because it appeals to chavs? Or, or what? What, what? What is the reason for not dressing up for a programme? I hate it when people don't dress up on the television. Especially when they've got loads of money. You know, if they were poor people and they'd wandered off a council estate somewhere... You know, then you could understand maybe if they go, well, I don't want to go and spend £500 on a suit. But there must be a budget. If there's a budget of 650000 they could find some blooming clothes as well. Uh, Johnny Depp's wife has been scheming against him for years, says a friend. Uh, there's a picture of um, Amber Heard with her former girlfriend, Tasia Van Rie. It's obviously sort of lesbian time at the moment, isn't it? I mean, everywhere you go now, it's sort of like, you know, here's somebody who's bisexual, here's somebody who's lesbian, here's somebody who's a model who's lesbian. I always remember when, when people, you know, used to lust over Samantha Fox and, um, and then Sam revealed that she was gay. And people were going, oh, not quite the same, is it now? They sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of the, the popularity waned a little bit. It's not, it's not OK, is it, to lust over lesbians? But uh, Amber Heard must be the new breed of them. And then, if she is a lesbian, if this is her former girlfriend here, what's she doing marrying Johnny Depp in the first place? Unless it's for evil gotten gains. I mean, it could be, I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm not liking what I'm hearing about. Uh, I, never, I never knew who she was in the first place, but uh, I like her even, uh, even less now. So, just in case. I don't like to see somebody taking advantage of it. I don't think that's very nice indeed. Uh, the tourist who's been killed by the crocodile, this is Cindy Waldron. She's 46, or she was 46. She ignored the warnings. There's a picture of a crocodile warning Achtung, recent crocodile sightings in this area. It's in about four different languages. Uh, she lived in New South Wales, and it sparked a debate about tourism in northern Queensland, where saltwater crocodiles that grow up to 16 feet long are a threat, and they move fast. They move fast. 
And uh, they, they went there. She went with her friend. And, um, and they just went into the water. They went in up to their waist. Well, crocodiles can operate in about inches of water. They just propel themselves. We see them with the wildebeest, don't we? Every year, the wildebeest, as they're looking for... You said that Masai Mara, wherever it is, they're looking for the, the planes to go and eat and things like that, and they've got across the river. And they do it at the same time every year. You would think by now, somebody over there would have built a bridge so that the wildebeest can get over to the other side without being eaten by the crocodiles. But because you can't interfere with nature, you have to sort of let the crocodiles sit there. And they mass in their hundreds, waiting for the wildebeest. They come down to the water's edge, and the sheer force of them, there's millions, there could be two million crossing. And they gradually get pushed a bit further forward, pushed a bit, until eventually somebody's got to take the plunge and jump in. And it's at that moment that the first... I mean, some of them are... Sw- they're swimming for their lives. You can see, just keeping their head above water, and all of a sudden, a crocodile grabs them, and they go under the water, and that's it. So while the crocodiles are involved with that one, the other ones paddle for all they're worth, <laughs> trying to get to the other side. So here's somebody who goes swimming, ignoring the signs. You cannot deal with stupidity. You cannot deal. We hear of this all the time, crocodiles doing it. And um, somebody from the Queensland Crocodile Conservation and Protection Society said... It would be absolutely crazy swimming along those beaches. And she went in up to her waist as they... Even just paddling on the... on the At night! At night, you don't even see the thing! You know, 47, they actually tried to uh, drag her back out. Her friend who was with her tried to drag her back out. And, uh, and they couldn't. So she had to go and get some help. By that time, of course, it's all over. And presumably, in, uh, in a while, they will find her... Her body, but I mean, she was in waist-deep water. I mean, crocodiles, as they operate in in low things, it's it's difficult. As I say, it goes back to you know, do we sort of eradicate crocodiles because they go out and do what comes naturally? In the same way, do we sort of stop having gorillas? I mean, I looked at the size of that silverback the other day, and I'm in two minds over it as well. You know, every seemed pretty much divided to me. Well, that's the way it came over. Uh, one person who phoned up who didn't even know who Darren was, again, I mean, thought he was Ian Collins. He sounded like he was three sheets to the wind. He sounded like he'd actually taken something. He was slurring away all over the place. And I thought, dear God in heaven, where are you coming from? He didn't seem to understand what he was going on about. At the end of the day, it's a child, it's a silverback. The silverback was about ten times the size of the child. It whizzed him through that water. You know, for for a gorilla baby, that would be an induction course. It'd be fine. Not for a little child. Luckily, he emerged with no broken bones, no broken anything. But they, they couldn't take that risk that it wouldn't have, have killed that child. We don't know. We really don't know. You can read into it whatever you want. And you can sort of, you know, put anything in, in place and say, well, you know, it might have done this. But then it was holding its hand at the end. Well, it might have been. But that doesn't mean to say that it wouldn't just all of a sudden throw it to one side and trample on it. It could be, it could be all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. <coughs> excuse me. It's interesting how many of you are sort of, uh, you're interested in, um, I don't know, I'm just find this here, uh, in the, the story about the gorilla. But I don't think anybody's got the solution to it. I mean, I agree. I think it's horrendous that uh, this, this poor. Uh, Gorilla had to lose its life. I thought that was uh, that was a dreadful shame, seeing as there's, there's so few of them. Um, Steve, I agree with your comments about Top Gear. I thought Evans did an okay job. Yeah, I mean, it was an okay job. It wasn't outstanding, because that's not... Listen, he might like cars, because he's got, you know, loads and loads of money. But that doesn't make you an expert on cars, does it? I mean, Matt 
Matt LaPlonka was very dull and boring. Fish out of water. Sabine may be a good driver, apparently potty mouth, but a hopeless and annoying presenter. And Top Gear was my favourite TV show. Now it's ruined. I mean, I also think, you know, they, I don't think they've ruined it. I just don't think they've added anything to it. Going out and doing loads of very, very expensive outside broadcasts with a team of, I should imagine it must be well over 50. You know, that, that would be about the average people working on a show like that. At least 50 people. And it's not, it's not serving any useful purpose, is it? It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is entertaining because you're now watching it because of Chris Evans. Whereas before I watched it, because it was, you knew that if, if Jeremy stood up and started talking about cars, the other two would argue with him. And that made it, you know, that, that, that made it interesting. Everybody's different, but some people fit naturally into a role and some people don't. And unfortunately, in the case of Matt LeBlanc, he didn't fit into it at all. Has he ever done any motoring programmes before? You know, he's, uh, you know, M- Matt LeBlanc is not Laurence Olivier. There's lots of different kinds uh, of people, like there's lots of different radio presenters. You know, different radio presenters do different sorts of things. Some are very good at chatting by themselves, sitting in a studio, staring at the ceiling. Some are better when they're not doing that and they're just talking to people on the telephone. Some people are better at doing interviews. Some people are better at doing politics. Every presenter's different. You know, every presenter has got some sort of... That's why they're doing what they do. That's why we earn what we do. Because it's far more difficult nowadays to find a presenter, in fact, nigh on impossible to find a presenter who can do this programme as I do it. But then why would you want to copy what I do? You'd have to make your own your own version of the programme and do it your own way. But I've seen people before who uh, who struggle with sitting there just chatting. And if you say to somebody, you just have to chat, and they go, what about? And you go, well, just anything. Just make it sound interesting. LBC News Time, 4.30, the latest headlines for you. Here's Zora Suleiman. New- this is LBC with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Tuesday morning. I know you're rivetingly exciting about, uh, excited about uh, Tuesday, aren't you? You should be, actually. You've only got to do today, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you're back to Friday again. And you should have just been paid. So that's quite exciting, isn't it? Isn't it? I always get it very excited about being paid. It's one of the highlights of my day. So I turn on the television this morning. I wake up. I wake up early. And I thought, shall I water all the plants? I thought, no, it's going to tip it down today. I'll do the baskets when I get back home. After I've done Ray Liotta, I can then go home. I'll water the baskets and then sort of faff around to a few little bits and pieces and do the invoice which you have to do that so that comes up you know fairly regular on the computer do the invoice and so i was watching uh, gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares uh, sorry restaurant nightmares where he goes out to a restaurant and um and they're obviously falling apart and he then gives them advice on how to turn the restaurant around this particular one was by a, a railway junction it might have been in cincinnati or something like that um and they, they changed the name of it because it was stuck in the 70s. The old couple who had it, an old boy, it was, it was quite jolly, but he used to take the food round on a trolley because he was so old. And, uh, and the wife, who just was so stuck in the mud. In fact, she became almost irritating within about 10 minutes of watching her. She didn't want any change at all. So Gordon said, listen, uh, let's actually sort of film you uh, as they do on a typical Saturday night where they had people in there. The food was ghastly. It was stuck in the 70s. It was absolute rubbish. And people were sending it back. And the, uh, the, uh, the woman who ran it, I'm not sure how much of it is set up. Because at one point she goes over to this couple who'd complained and asked to see the, uh, the manager or the owner or whatever. And she goes over, she said, what, what's your complaint? And he said, this food is absolutely atrocious. It's, it's just inedible. And so she said, right, so you don't want it. And they just took it away. And I thought that must be staged because you wouldn't say that because otherwise you'd have a lawsuit on your hand in America. They don't uh, they don't mess about with things like that. Anyway, so Gordon then goes, right, I tell you what we've got to do. 
You've got to get rid of all this rubbish from the 70s you've got. You know, there was sort of a, a fake crocodile sitting on the... How appropriate. A fake crocodile sitting on the bar and this ghastly furniture and everything else. So he threw it all out and they burnt it outside, which was quite pleasing. They renamed the restaurant The Junction which seemed very good, and they got a new logo with a bit of railway track. It was very clever. And, uh, and they simplified the menu, because the menu hadn't changed since the 70s. So they simplified the menu and, uh, and kept in. He said, we're going to have signature dishes like this chicken, whatever it was, and meatloaf. The Americans love meatloaf. And the bloke who owned the restaurant, the old man, he made meatloaf, so they put that on as a signature dish. He was delighted. He was delighted. Uh, the woman came in after they'd had the makeover of the place. She hated it. She hated the colour blue. She must be the only woman in the entire world who hates the colour blue. And she was miserable as sin. And I felt like saying, listen, you've called him in to look at your restaurant because you're a failure. She said, I don't like change. I thought, but your restaurant was failing. It was failing. There'd be nothing left. To, you know, you can't serve up crap food like that. People are a bit more demanding nowadays. So, anyway, in the end, it turned out, you know, the restaurant was a huge success. She changed a bit of the blue, and uh, luckily they're still in business. So, that's, so that was good news. But I, I was fascinated by, by the process. It's, the, it's the, the process of going into the kitchen, and somebody's got to be in charge. And because this woman didn't have any idea about food at all, she just thought that everybody wanted the same rubbish that she used to eat in the 70s. And it's nice. You know, it, it was probably nice in the 70s. But people have moved on. Lots of restaurants that I used to go to in the 70s aren't there anymore. So you, you move on, don't you? Read the crocodile, says James. It's sad to hear a woman's been attacked. But why would you swim where you know there are going to be crocodiles? Well, I don't know. As, as some MP said, you can't, you can't help, you know, the terminally stupid. You know, what, what do you do about something like that who failed to notice the sign? I mean, also, she lived over there. She'd be well aware of crocodiles. I mean, perhaps she thought that, you know, it had to be, you know, sort of have flashing lights on it so you could see it coming towards you. The only time you ever see them is if you go out in a boat and you get a torch and you see their eyes. That's the, only, the rest of the time you don't see them. They sink noiselessly below the surface and then they, uh, then they attack. They just come, they shoot. You see them on this wildebeest programme. They launch themselves out of the water to grab the animal by the throat and then just back into the water. And then they start turning over, doing this, this death roll thing which drowns it. So she must have had a rough idea. I mean, it's horrible. I agree, it's absolutely awful. But, you know, she must have been a bit stupid not to, not to read the signs or even know what was going on. Top Gear, do you think it would have worked if it was Evans and Clarkson? Um, well, that would never come up, would it? Because it was because of Clarkson that the programme disbanded itself and the other two decided to go with him because they know that they work well together. Never would have worked with the other two and Chris Evans. You know, Chris Evans is a standalone presenter with the help of Friends. That's what it is. Whenever he used to do his uh, radio programme, he had his sort of posse of people in, and then he made all the money, and they all disappeared. Uh, John Revel wrote about him. I think it was John Revel and said, you know, how he changed and he'd become ghastly and this and that. And you think, But, I mean, everybody changes. As you go through life, you do change a little bit. Sometimes money affects people. Sometimes power affects people. And I should imagine he's as power crazy as some other radio presenters I could name. You know, some people are like that. I don't know why. It's just, it's just the way they are. But, you know, he'll be disappointed with those figures. He'll go out and have a drink and they'll... But they've made the programme. Once you've made the programme, you can't change it. So is it the content people didn't like? Is it the presenters people didn't like? We don't know. It doesn't say that on the figures. It just says that less people watched it than at any other time. So we don't know what they didn't like. Is it because they see him as being a bit bombastic? I don't know. 
I really don't know. It seemed to have all the same things that the other programme had, just presented by somebody who shouted a lot. <laughs> That's all I know. I don't know anything else about it. Should have had shreddies. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, Somebody says, Steve, we have watched Top Gear with Matt LeBlanc, who we dislike completely, so we're now switching to the Fifth Gear programme. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's just not right. He's not right for it. But presumably, I mean, I don't know whether they've made quite a number of programmes and whether they're sitting in the can or whether or not uh, they're making them week by week. I mean, that I don't know. I should imagine they must be halfway through. They must have gone out to some of these these places and um, and sort of filmed little bits and pieces. Do you not think so? Otherwise, that'd be a terrible waste of money, wouldn't it? But they seem to be wasting it already. Uh, the football coming home story I will bring you later on because it's a, it's a really, really good story. Really good story. And uh, a lot of people on this programme will be associating with it. I did watch again Britain's Got Talent magician. Uh, he did screw the trick up a little bit, but only a little tiny bit. And he wasn't as confident with his delivery uh, as he could have been. But uh, nevertheless, it was still good and he deserved to win. I watched all the other people. I like it when they were all coming back again. They brought back Diversity and uh, Stavros Flatley. Everybody came back. Everybody came back and they did a good thing. And you had the bloke who did the, the dancing in the rain thing. And they all did a little tap dance. And I even liked the Stormtroopers. I thought they were OK as well. It was, it was, it was good. It was a very well done programme. Very well done programme. I, I picked up the paper today. Apart from weird advice from Chris Packham, who's somewhat odd. He wants parents to let children eat tadpoles. He said scoffing baby frogs and toads will help youngsters reconnect with nature. He's 55. He's quite clearly losing his marbles, isn't he? He says he used to eat them as a child. He says they're very Moorish. He says he's encouraging youngsters to do the same. He made the strange suggestion in his latest memoir, Fingers in the Sparkle Jar. He says get a small spoon and sacrifice one or two. They taste sort of gritty. and They're difficult to bite because they slip around on your tongue. Oh, dear. I mean, that's a peculiar bloke. And then poor old Danny Cipriani's ex-girlfriend, who's dragging out her five seconds of fame. I mean, this really is the lowest of the low here. His ex-girlfriend turned to women for love after he cheated on her. This is dreary old Sophie Garden. I mean, not blessed in the looks department, but obviously the availability department. After she, uh, she dated Danny Cipriani. This was after he split with Kelly Brook. It's about 500 years ago. 500 years ago, and she's still droning on about it because she doesn't actually have a career. She told pals, I haven't dated a guy since Danny. I dated a lesbian for about six months. Obviously, just doesn't have a name, just called lesbian. Why couldn't she just say, I dated Maria for six months and I dated Cindy or something like that, and then I dated another lesbian? Oh, ghastly old bag, aren't you? Anyway, she hopes to find love with a man again. Shouldn't think so, darling. You still, you'll sell yourself down the river. Let's hope you do and take yourself with it. Okay? So bored with poor old has-beens, like people like you. Uh, Niall Horan's still playing golf, but he, he thinks he's got a musical career. I'm thinking not. <laughs> I don't think so, anyway. And who's this? Chloe Goodman. Oh, she's from X on the Beach, and she's over in Miami Beach. I'm sorry, darling, if you sit in Miami Beach drinking a drink with your own photographer, because nobody knows who you are over there, they're going to think you're a hooker. OK, you don't wear clothes like this on Miami Beach unless you're selling. OK, and to take your own photographer out there, apparently she's, um, she seems to have forgotten her reported row with her footballing ex, Danny Simpson. How lovely, honestly. <laughs> Riveted, isn't it? Absolutely riveting. Uh, Disney movie's got its first lesbian couple. What? Disney? Good heavens above. Their new blockbuster movie will feature the first gay couple, the lesbian pair, appear in a trailer for the new cartoon Finding Dory, which is a follow-up to Finding Nemo. 
The couple are seen taking their child for a walk at a water park, but they come frightened when they see an octopus in its pushchair. Gay uh, TV host Ellen DeGeneres voices the lovable blue tang fish Dory. Some fans have threatened to boycott the movie. Wow. Somebody says fish just aren't gay. Uh, no, but there's a, it, it's a couple. They are actually a, a sort of a human couple who are gay. Some very stupid people in America, I'm afraid. And um, somebody's but uh, Sassy Mubahi says, the fact that Finding Dory has uh, most probably got a gay couple in it is amazing. About bloody time too, equal rights hashtag. Yes, I mean, somebody says, uh, fish aren't gay. Neither am I, I'm going to boycott the movie. Of course, they're, they're the sort of people who wouldn't realise, you know, what gay was. People actually threatened to boycott Disney at one point because they rented a park to... Um, to a gay organisation who went there, and I think the evangelists, you know, down in the deep south where it's hang them, flog them and set them on fire kind of brigade, they uh, they said that was disgraceful. How dare Disney invite gay people in without realising that probably some of the people in their very midst were, in fact, as gay as geese. Uh, a lot of people talking about the, the woman... Uh, being attacked by the crocodile and saying as she lived out there she should i mean surely she can read surely she can read you don't go near any water at night it's as simple as that i mean it doesn't matter whether it's got crocodiles or undercurrents you don't go near it at all but some people don't we've had stories of people uh coming back from uh, from holiday and going up to blackpool and then once they've had a skinful they then go out onto the beach without realising that the coast around Blackpool, the tides run fast. The tides run very fast and people get dragged out to sea. And they, they can't cope with it because they've had, once they get dragged out, they're very, very unlikely to come back again. Uh, boring new Top Gear, says the Daily Star, gets stuck in reverse. They don't like it, do they? They really don't like it. It's very, very odd. Very, very odd. And, uh, and the other story was the final season at Ibiza's iconic club. And uh, this is uh, a hedonistic right. And space will close its doors. I don't know why. It's obviously made so much money over the years. And people pack it out. But then you look at the sort of people who are packing it out. My God, it's all the rough things that didn't make it into, uh, into TOWIE and made in Chelsea. It's all those sort of really, really rough ones. We're so desperate to be famous. If somebody came in and said, you know, like me, I play professional football, uh, I'd be mobbed within a matter of seconds. Quarter to five. This is LB's Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Some parents this morning are going to be waking up and they're going to be getting a copy of The Sun and they're going to be looking at a picture on the front page and going, who is that stripper and what's my daughter doing straddling him? Because she's clearly identified on the front of the paper. This is teenage girls at Kate Middleton's old school smuggled in a male stripper. They cost 90 quid. Very cheap male strippers nowadays. Uh, he didn't take everything off, but it was practically there but that. And uh, they filmed him simulating sex with a pupil. Her parents are going to be looking at this picture today and will probably have her removed immediately, I should imagine. What in God's name Marlborough College thought was supposed to be going on? I've got no idea. It's wholly inappropriate that there were young children aged just 13, gawping as this man stripped off. I mean, really, whoever booked this person, and somebody had to come up with the idea, should be expelled immediately. I mean, an absolute scandal. I mean, very different impact, you know, a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. At the end of the day, it was a prank, said the stripper called Ross, and uh, he stripped down to his G-string and was dancing and grinding with some of the girls. Uh, staff at the prestigious Mixed Sex School in Marlborough only spotted the entertainer as he was being escorted off the grounds. They're a bit slow on the uptake, aren't they? But as I say, it's the girl who's on the front page of The Sun today whose parents are going to go, what do you think you were doing? 
Uh, that's the sort of education you get at Marlborough College. It's not good enough. The girls should have known better. And hopefully there will be expulsions and discipline and all sorts of things. Because otherwise you just, the whole thing gets out of hand. What next? Just sort of bringing in boys for sex anyway. Uh, Chris Evans, Chris Evans, Chris Evans. All the papers go for it. But the most heart-rending story is one of a lad called Caleb. Uh, Caleb is 16 and he had to fight, had to fight to get his mum's ashes back after she died in hospital. You would have thought that being her only surviving son, the hospital would have handed back the ashes without a moment's hesitation. Uh, This is Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. And uh, Caleb was left with no family and just £70 inheritance. He's 16 years old. His mum, Sonia, who died from a liver condition at 51, wanted her ashes scattered at their favourite park. But the hospital, the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, told Caleb they would have to be scattered at a crematorium. Officials said it was policy, as it had paid for the funeral. Caleb, who's now in the care of family friends, says, I felt disgusted because they weren't even going to let me choose a date And they know I'm in the middle of my GCSEs. It's a really big relief just to know I can get the ashes. A hospital spokesman said, in this case, arrangements have been made for the ashes to be returned to the sun. I should bloody well think so. Seriously, what a disgrace. Who took that decision? I can understand it. If somebody dies in a hospital and they don't have any relatives, and so the hospital pays for it, and uh, and then they do scattering at the local crematorium. She's got a son. He's been left with 70 quid and no mother. And you go, no, we're actually going to scatter the ashes at the crematorium. You oh, can't even use words to describe these people. Oh, gosh. Anyway, they finally decided, you know, begrudgingly by the sound of it, to give him back his mother's ashes. It's nice, isn't it? Honestly, where do these people come from? Dear God in heaven, what are we turned into? Uh, No, sorry, we actually paid for it. We'll decide. We'll put her in an egg timer. Let's make her work for a living. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. I don't know why they, um, they sort of even... Sorry, I can't even even put the words together for that one. At least it's seen sense. At least it's seen sense. Uh, Steve, did you hear about the boatload of immigrants arriving at Dimchurch? Uh... That's from Buddy, who's a supermarket driver in Ken. Actually, I've, I've, I've seen nothing but on the, uh, on the television over the past couple of days. People of Dimchurch talking. Apparently it's happened before down there because it's, uh, it's an unguarded piece of beach so they can just bring them in, I should imagine. There's probably loads coming. I think this time it was 18 Albanians and, uh, and some other people. In Dimchurch, just sort of turn it. The beaches look lovely. They really do. But it's obviously easy to get people in there because nobody's patrolling it. You know, what do you, what do you expect to do? I think what you have to do is you have to make sure that locals are well aware of what to look out for and call the police. That's all you can do, because this is get, they've had warnings on this, and they've done nothing. Talking of warnings, here it is. Weight loss shakes sold by slimming firm Protein World contained up to 17 times more carbs than claimed on the label, the sons say. The slender blend shakes promoted by Fern McCann... Oh, God, here we go again. Fern McCann and somebody called Casey Batchelor also contain up to a third less protein than advertised. Protein World is being probed by trading standards and could face fines of up to £40,000 if it's found to have breached strict labelling rules. Nutritionists say dieters avoid carbs to shed weight and eat more protein to build up muscles. And uh, it's run by a playboy, Arun Seth, who also faced a backlash last year over this advert, which uh, asked women if they were ready for a beach body, if they were beach body ready. I didn't actually see anything the matter with that advert. I couldn't quite understand it at all. You know, what's the matter with saying, you know, do you want a beach body? But some people say, oh, no, that was offensive to sort of fat people. Well, I'm fat. I wasn't offended by it. Were you offended by it, Chris? No. 
Not the Chris, it's fact, he's sort of, he's Rubenesque. Rubenesque. I think that's what they call it around here. But I mean, why, but people complained about the adverts. Anyway, you know, I never trust anybody who's flogging anything that offers utopia. You know, there used to be some tablets sold years ago, and they used to be advertised in all the colour subs. They all promoted these tablets. And, they, and the basis was, it had got fish oil. And they said, how often do you see fat fish? And they reckon that if you took these tablets, the weight fell off you. And then they said, if you feel you're losing too much weight, stop taking them, which is exactly what people want to hear. Well, let me tell you now, for a fact, let's put it in context, they were selling you a lie. They were selling you a blatant lie. Because if you say, here is a tablet and you're going to lose weight, where do you think it's going to go to? Do you think all of a sudden your body shrinks down? No, you can have all this excess fat, you can have all this excess skin. I love the way that people think, you know, that there's no exercise involved. You just go to bed, take a tablet, wake up in the morning and you've lost three stone. No, 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 no. That's why I say you've got to be very careful if any so-called celebrities, and most of them, they're just numpties who appear on the television. You check very carefully whatever they're advertising. They're doing it for a fee. And the one you've got to watch out for is Gemma Collins. That's why you've seen nothing of her. At the moment, she'll be working out with a trainer. They will then try and flog you a diet. I'm promising you this is what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And it will come with tablets. Do not touch anything like this. If you want a diet, if you want to lose weight, go to your doctor for free. They will give you a diet sheet. In fact, actually, on the front of the uh, one of the papers today, they're actually talking about uh, diabetes and how, with a low-carb diet, you can do this, that and the other. But don't ever fall for the old celebrity thing. All they've done is they've had a trainer for ages. And the next time you see Gemma Collins, she will look as thin as a rake. Of course, being Gemma Collins, fat face Collins, she'll be eating again. So once she's made her money, that's what they do. It's going to get to the stage where her body just won't allow her to do anything and she'll end up a little bit like that loose woman Colleen Nolan because Colleen now couldn't lose weight if her life depended on it. She's now stuck in that weight because she's too old to start losing weight. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily work. And also, she likes her food too much. And she lives in Blackpool, so she likes all the wrong kind of food. So, you know, the advice is you don't need to take any shakes. You don't need to do any specific diet because they've done it with a trainer. If you had a trainer sitting at home with you, you would do exactly the same. You would do exactly the same. You'd be going out there every day. The trainer would be saying, OK, here we go. This is what you're eating today. It's what you pay for. You're eating this today. And by the end of it, if you gave up uh, booze, you could lose about two pounds a week. But some people want, um, they want loads of, loads of things. They want loads of things to happen. They want all this weight to fall off their body. But I promise you, it will never, ever, ever happen. It's as simple as that. There is no such thing as a diet that works. OK, I can I can claim that quite categorically. Uh, Steve, do you think it's become more fashionable for minor celebrities and models to declare they're lesbians? I don't know. It was fashionable years ago. In fact, I think even in Ab Fab, when when sort of um, the, the daughter said, I've got something to tell you. And the mother went, oh, tell me you're a lesbian. And she went, no, oh, boring. And so it is. I'm, I'm waiting for Katie Price and Kerry Katona to declare themselves, says Pat. Oh, I think Kerry Katona's already said that, hasn't she? Oh, yes, I think I'll become a lesbian because, I mean, she's so desperately sad in her pea brain of a, of a mind that she's got no idea. And Katie Price has said, oh, I really like women and all this. They've all done it. It's going down the fake lesbian route, which, of course, is a bit of an embarrassment to proper lesbians. Uh, another one here. Um... I watched that uh, Sophie woman on Love Island this evening. Very desperate. Yes, I mean, th- that's the trouble. People become desperate. Now, the papers sort of put men and go, oh, can you strip off to sort of wear hardly anything? Oh, yeah, I can do that, yeah. I mean, 
You know, and then we had sort of Fern McCann's going to be an actress. No, of course she's not. Don't be silly. She's definitely not. Definitely not at all. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Another one here. Uh, this amazing the amount of people. You're not really bothered about this uh, woman who was eaten by the crocodile. We're assuming she was eaten by the crocodile. I can't think of any other reason why she, uh, why she sort of disappeared. And... Uh, and Nicholas says, uh, can we talk more about lesbians, please? She says, I'm off to Tel Aviv Pride tomorrow. Nicholas in Highgate. Can we talk more about lesbians? <laughs> I don't think I could actually carry on a conversation, Nicola, that would last that long about lesbians. I know quite a number of lesbians. I know quite a number of transgender people. I know quite a lot of gay people. I know everybody, actually. And surprisingly, I even know black and Asian people as well. I don't know anybody from any planets, though, out of the solar system. I don't know any little green men. I've never had any conversation. I've never actually had any sort of contact with them at all. I don't hear strange voices in my head. Oh, that's a lie. I've just realised I do. I have heard strange voices. And do I know any gingers? I sure do. I know a lot of gingers. In fact, I know somebody so close at the moment who is, who is ginger, uh, but is in denial. And that doesn't mean he's gone to Egypt. That's Darren. Darren is, is ginger. And uh, he's just literally over the road here. Because, but as I say, gingers sometimes go in, in denial. He was trod on my joke about Egypt, but it doesn't matter. I can live without it. You know, Jamaica? No, she went of her own accord. So you throw them all in. So I know everybody and it doesn't really matter, but I don't think I could talk with any authority about lesbians. I really couldn't. Although I do actually, I quite like the idea that lesbians can hoodwink heterosexual men into believing that they really fancy them just to take the money. I quite like that idea. That sort of appeals to my to my wicked side. I don't think it would really work for gay men and straight women, would it? It wouldn't work the same way because, you know, you'd have to sort of, you'd have to be interested in somebody. Whereas I'm, I'm sure that somebody who's bisexual or, or lesbian could convince anybody. <coughs> Johnny Depp. Anyway, uh, other stories, other stories. Oh, the weather. No, you don't need to know the weather, do you? It's going to be wet. Wet and windy with heavy, thundery showers. The rain will ease eventually and uh, drizzle expected throughout the day. Oh, we don't want drizzle, do we? It's awful. Steve, I don't think I dare go anywhere near crocodiles, but my sister, brother and his wife, my six nieces and nephews and I took a picket, uh, took a picnic, to, <laughs> took a picket. You might as well take it a picket, mightn't you, to Regent's Park. We enjoyed it immensely. And uh, also visited a 95-year-old lady in the Royal Free Hospital. She's good, isn't it? It's good. Michael says, I'm one of Chris Evans' biggest fans. I think he's highly intelligent, very creative. Three things didn't impress me about the new Top Gear. One, Matt LeBlanc, wooden. Two, Chris Evans shooting in the studio, volume too high. And Danny Baker, being the scriptwriter, he's turning Top Gear into TFI Friday, which, of course, he also uh, wrote as well. And he did Blackadder. He said, I truly believe, though, that uh, Chris Evans will turn Top Gear around and viewing figures will increase. Well, they're, um, th- th- this is the big question, isn't it, at the moment? They're actually saying, will he be fired? And I thought, well, of course they're not going to fire Why would you fire him? Why would you fire him? It's his programme. He's under contract. They have to pay him off, you know, huge amounts of money. Uh, the skin cancer cure for millions. The hope is on the front of the papers today. Uh, the other one, which is uh, Caleb winning the fight for the ashes of his mum. I mean, finally, common sense on that one. Poor soul, honestly, as if life wasn't bad enough for him. The boozer in court for his 448th offence. Why don't we just leave him in prison, let him, you know, stay there 448 times? That's some sort of joke, isn't it, really? Uh, Was the gentle giant, the silverback, trying to protect the zoo boy? Or could it have ended horribly? We don't know. We never will know. And the 11-year-old, I'm not spoilt. Her father spends a fortune on her every month. And you often wonder why parents do this. It's because they were probably deprived as children.
Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, the UK's open coastline in shambles. There must be thousands coming into the country uh, because the beaches are unprotected. Ask them down in Dimchurch. We're not flop gear, says Chris Evans. He's hit back. We're the biggest in our time slot. Prince Philip uh, is going to miss out on the Jutland ceremony on doctor's orders. Johnny Depp's wife, according to a close friend, has been scheming against Johnny Depp for ages. I'm not spoilt, says the 11-year-old whose father spends £1,000 a month on ridiculous designer shoes and Uggs and just about everything. The football that's coming home after 100 years. KFC hit with this £100,000 fine at their filthy, disgusting diner. And the crocs got me. The attack was avoidable, says the MP. You can't legislate against stupidity. All of that and more between now and 6.30. So here's the little girl who's, uh, who says she's not spoilt. I have a sneaking feeling she's probably... Go- oh, that's right. She recently appeared in Britain's Pushiest Parents. It's another one of these stupid attention-seeking families who think that we're interested in watching silly, spoilt parents spoiling silly children. And uh, this girl here has got uh, a Longchamp handbag new Prada shoes, the wardrobe is stocked with designer clothes and accessories. Must make her very lonely, I should imagine, as a child. Because although her name is Lily Ray Isat Port, she's 11, uh, her parents shell out a thousand a month on her lavish lifestyle, which includes weekly golf lessons and the latest designer garments. Her favourite brand is the French designer Chloe. And if she's mastered a language or excels at an instrument at the time she turns 16, her stockbroker father had promised her a £10,000 cheque. But Lily Ray, who fills her days with golf, ballet, dance and French lessons, insists she's not spoilt, she's just lucky. She comes from Romford. I wasn't aware there were people of this sort of money in Romford. She says, uh, I, uh, I've got loads of clothes, some that I buy and don't even wear. I just don't have enough time to wear everything. I've got a different activity to go to every night. I do ballet, tap, street dance, swimming, football and golf, as well as playing the violin and learning French. But it's not tiring, it's fun. Uh, despite being at primary school, she just, so she's not even at a, at, a, at a public school. Kind of a waste of money, really, isn't it, really? We're not sort of doing anything here. She says, I'm just a normal kid. Her father is called Bobby Port and her mother, Carly Isat. Um, so it's interesting. So are her parents married or are they not married? Uh, she recently featured in this documentary and she believes her parents and stepmother Leanne. Ah, right, it's her stepmother. Says uh, that if you work hard, you can do well for yourself. Her mother says she likes the finer things in life, something she's probably inherited me and her dad. She's very lucky and she knows it. She's grounded and polite and certainly not spoilt. And uh, her father says, I look at her as an investment. I always wanted to achieve the best she can. She goes to school in Prada shoes with a Longchamp bag. She's my little girl. I only want to give her the best. I should imagine in Romford, if you go to school in Prada shoes, they're going, are they fakes? That's what people would be doing. So, uh, anyway, we'll wait and see what happens. I think she's, uh, she's recently been signed by a modelling agency. I can't imagine why. There's nothing particularly remarkable about her at all. I suppose it's just because they go, you know, here she is posing with her shoes. Oh, she's got one pair of shoes, thank God, like mine, which haven't got laces on, which always works. But it's, it's just, it's silly parents pushing a child forward at the age of 11. It's as ghastly as watching anything that Peter Andre's produced being shoved up on the television. Very awful. However, a more pleasing story, and there are more pleasing stories, uh, is the story of the football. The football that's coming home. And this is a quite remarkable football. It's the story from the Somme that captured the boyish heroism of the thousands of young men sent over there 
to their deaths. As the troops went over the top, some soldiers kicked footballs ahead of them to spur their advance to the German lines in the face of withering machine gun fire. Now a ball from that darkest hour in the army's history is set to return to Britain for the first time. The leather ball could come home for the centenary of the Somme thanks to a French collector who found it close to where the 18th Battalion of the Manchester Regiment attacked on July the 1st, 1916. Dominic Zanardi turned down an offer for the ball from Man United in 1998, but may now be ready to part with it, the cafe and museum owner said. A farmer who had housed members of the regiment died, and they were clearing his home. I managed to retrieve the ball, which was in a rucksack stamped 18th Manchester's. The ball was from London department store Garages. Asked about how much it's worth, Mr Zanardi said it's priceless. If an offer is put in, it could become the most expensive football in history. And they've got a, a picture of it, and it's, it is quite remarkable. You won't have seen anything like this before, but it was one that the Tommies played with at the Somme. The, the Manchesters were stationed at the right of the East Surrey Regiment, who famously kicked two footballs bought by Captain... Wilfred Billy Neville, as they advanced. The beautiful game famously provoked respite on Christmas Day 1914 when British and Germans played football in no man's land. And one of those footballs is coming home. What's it worth? No idea. A small fortune, I would think. A small, I don't know, quarter of a million pounds? I don't know what, I don't know what, what price you put on that. If that football could talk, it would certainly have seen uh, quite a few, quite a few... Uh, lives and quite a few deaths at the same time. I'm a bit bored with Millie McIntosh. She features twice in the papers today. Uh, first of all, uh, she's newly divorced from rapper Professor Green and uh, she's uh, pushing her swimwear range, I believe. And uh, here she is. She's just an incredibly boring person. Although he appears to have had a go at her in one of the papers, which we'll come round to a little bit later on. I'm not exactly sure what it is. It's something to do with class. It's something to do with class. It's something to do with money doesn't buy you class, which, of course, we realise. But Millie has always been a little attention seeker, but uh, without any discernible talent at all. Uh, Adele has bought a, a very nice house in L.A. for six and a half million quid. So it's quite a lot over there because you can pick up really cheap property. You get a lot of property over in America for your bucks. It's, uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, Steve, regarding the ashes, says Connor, shame on them. Absolutely appalling and cruel. I know. I just don't... I don't understand why a hospital would sort of deny a 16-year-old lad his mother's ashes. That's all he's got. He wants to scatter them where he wants to scatter them, where she wanted to be scattered. You only got 70 quid out of it. And then somebody turns... I'd love to find out who the person is. Hopefully there's a letter that he's got. Because that's disgraceful behaviour. Luckily, they have, uh, they have rescinded. They've said, all right, we will, you know, after sort of due care and attention. Shame they didn't think about it beforehand, isn't it, really? If Top Gear flops, can we have a remake of That's Life? No, you don't want a remake of That's Life. No, that, that was definitely of its period. Odd-shaped vegetables and uh, Esther Ranson going. She's still going. She's still going, is our Esther. <laughs> She's still going. I used to watch it. I used to love it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really good. You used to have odd odes on there. And uh, with Cyril Fletcher, I think. I just thought it was a great programme, but it was of its time. Don't ever think that you can go and remake programmes and they work, because nine out of ten times, they don't work. They, they really don't. And uh, they shouldn't, shouldn't do them. Uh, Steve, talking about lesbians and gay people, Gambia dictator Yama Jame says if he catches any gays in the country, he'll cut their heads off. Yes, and uh, the trouble is there are places in the world, aren't there, where sort of to be gay is bad, and yet, of course, there are gays there. We've had it in India, 
where people have been uh, macheted to death for their beliefs, religious or otherwise, and sometimes sexuality. And uh, you just worry, don't you, about it? You worry about, you know, people who harbour these strange thoughts about other people. I think, I think really, because it's, it's to do with themselves, isn't it? It's something that they actually fear. So perhaps the, uh, the Gambian uh, dictator, who doesn't like lesbians and gay people, is probably harbouring strange thoughts himself. Do you not reckon? I've seen a picture of him. He looks slightly gay to me. Slightly gay. In fact, no, Edgy looks very gay. There you go. That's the sort of thing people worry about, isn't it? You know, does somebody actually look that gay? And the answer is, it, I always think if people are sort of anti it, it's something in themselves. Something in themselves is a bit worrying. The KFC fine and uh, this this filthy diner, which was uh, in a, a council in near Pontypool, the A4042, uh, got a hygiene rating of zero. Last uh, May, the council said it's disappointing KFC could make such basic errors. Uh, environmental health officers swooped after a customer tip-off and found the site visibly dirty. Not sort of the underlying thing where they sort of turn all the lights off and put on an ultraviolet light. No, no, no. Visibly, you could see it. We had it here in Leicester Square some years ago. Mouse droppings on the surface. It was that filthy. It was that filthy in there. We had exactly the same with a TF, uh, TGI Fridays up in Covent Garden as well. And they've since been cleaned up. But uh, you worry about the people. They don't, they don't clean these places properly. This one was absolutely awful. There were no disinfectants for food preparation services. No proper cleaning got done for 10 days because the boiler hadn't worked. So they just didn't bother cleaning. Just sort of left it. Filthy, disgusting people. They admitted three offences at the magistrate's court. The diner was rated at four last September. I mean, you thought it'd be absolutely 100% one. I don't know what the top rating is. It'd be five, I suppose. Five rating. A KFC spokeswoman, Janet Cox, says, we accepted the findings and took action. Should have taken it before, darling. Should have taken it before. In other words, you were all sitting there rolling around in this filth and nobody noticed it. You know, we accepted the findings. Didn't have much choice, dear. The place was filthy. It had a zero rating. What do you think it was? They're so stupid, some of these people. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Well done to, uh, to Chris Anderson, incidentally, who makes all the papers today. Why would he make the papers? He's a champion cheese roller. He's, uh, he does this, you know, where they run down a hill chasing a cheese or something like that. He's, he's won it 17 times. And he's again won it. Uh, he's 28. He's obviously good at running down hills, as indeed a lot of kids were. But it's quite dangerous. People get quite hurt on this one. And um, the funny thing is, he doesn't even like cheese. They always put, they have to put something in, don't they? So does somebody like cheese? No, he doesn't like it. And yet he's won it 17 times. What you win, I've got no idea. I've got no idea. But I have seen it on the television. It does look blooming dangerous. And people pile in on top of each other. And you think, is that, is that right? You know, is it, is it dangerous? Yes. Uh, Michael says... On Chris Evans' show on Thursday, he said, while the first one's being aired on Sunday, he won't be watching it as he'll be recording the next one. So it looks like it's week-by-week week recording. It'll be very interesting, because I mean, they, they should learn. But we don't know, do we? This is what I, I pointed out before to you, that if a programme goes wrong, be it on television or on the radio, you've got to find out what the thing is that's wrong. You know, if, if it was this programme, what is it? Is it, the, is it the presenter? Is it the content? What is it that doesn't make it score in the ratings? Of course, it does score in the ratings. That's the embarrassing thing. So we know we're doing it right. But if something doesn't score in the ratings, you've then got to go back and go, you need to send people out to do market research to find out which bits they don't like. And of course, the thing that you can do is you can phone up the BBC and ask to be put through to the duty officer. And the duty officer has a care to... Um, to, sorry, I just got distracted. To um, to write down in the book, the, the daily log, so-and-so phoned up and they said they didn't like it because they thought Chris Evans shouted or they thought Matt LeBlanc was wooden. Uh, the duty log goes out to the programmes every day. 
every single day. So, uh, so now we know. Now we know. Uh, a friend of mine's birthday today, actually. A friend of mine's birthday today. And uh, I think this has come from uh, from Jordan. Happy birthday to uh, to Joel Ross. He'll be getting work uh, ready for work today. He's twenty seven. Oh please, he can't be twenty seven. It's not physically possible. How is it? Twenty seven years old. Joel must be. He must be in his forties, mustn't he? He can't be twenty seven, Jordan. I don't think. But he will be listening to this program. I know that. So many happy returns of the day. And uh, let's see, see what the day brings for you, eh? Many, oh, incidentally, I must tell you that I got a, a thing from, from David Lloyd, you know, after we recorded that sort of... Uh, he said it's done really, really well. Really, really well. He said... Um, what did he say here? He said uh, thousands of, uh, of plays and growing. He said they're all loving it, all touched by your story. So there you go. You can find that on... What can you find it on? Is it sound... I can't remember what it's on now. I know it's on David Lloyd's site... And I can't remember what it is. And it's a life and times. He does them. I think I must be about the 15th one that he's done. Uh, and it's people in radio who've made a difference. And so uh, David recorded this interview with me a few weeks ago. David Lloyd, DavidLloydRadio.com. And you scroll down to conversations and then you can find it there. And it's an hour. It's an hour of me talking about uh, how I ended up here. And... Uh, People seem to be listening to it, which is good news. So thank you, David. And uh, Joel, have a very, very happy birthday. LBC at 16 past five. The on LBC. With Hampton by Hilton. From a great night's sleep to the perfect breakfast included. On Nick Ferrari at breakfast after 18 Albanians are rescued from a sinking boat off the coast of Kent is the English Channel the new Mediterranean. The business secretary will say Britain's small businesses are stronger, safer and better off in Europe, despite more than 200 bosses of small firms signing an open letter urging Britain to leave the EU in March. Who's right? And research suggests the increased use of photographic and video material in courtroom evidence is leaving some jurors traumatised. Should more be done to protect those carrying out their civic duty? All of that with uh, Nick Ferrari. This morning, from seven, after the morning news with Hannah Vaughan-Jones. And looking at the papers today, Aisha Hazaraki, uh, who's the former soli- uh, senior political advisor to the Labour Party. So she'll be in looking at the papers for today. Uh, Janice Levy. Uh, Janice and I met, oh, many years ago. Many, many years ago. Many, many years ago. And she's uh, creative director at Hair Developments, um, which I think is sort of, it's family business. I'm pretty certain, pretty certain. Anyway, so she's she's sort of uh, she's contacts me every so often. She's a nice regular. The Foodies Festival, uh, which there's so many cake. Oh, look! Somebody sent me a lovely picture of cakes and chocolates. Luckily, uh, luckily, I'm not particularly affected by uh, by chocolate or anything like that. I'm just not not interested in it. I'd rather go savoury. Uh, another one here it says uh, Steve Allen show uh, and another person listening on an early commute for the first time. So many snippets. Fat Face Collins, a favourite. Yes. She, well, that's why you've not seen her for ages. And the reason you've not seen her for ages is because she'll be doing this uh, this diet. And if she's got to make some impact on it, the whole idea is to keep her well out of the way until they think she looks reasonably OK. So they can then photograph her and go, that, that, that's how they sell it. You'll have a picture of the, the fat beach hut Gemma Collins on the front. Then there'll be a picture of svelte Gemma Collins. And she'll be touted round everywhere. They'll all pick up on it. Every single, you know, TV station. They'll try and hawk her off to me, but I don't touch those sort of books. 
you know, and, and they'll, they'll be putting it on, they say, you've lost an awful lot of weight. And you think, of course you have. She's been away for the last six months with a trainer. That's why she's lost it. Anybody else will never lose it. Not in a million years. I've never heard of anybody who's ever bought one of these so-called third-rate, Z-list celebrity diet DVDs or books and actually managed to lose anything. You just buy it, you look at the picture on the front, you think, oh, I'd look like that overnight. No, you won't. Never. Uh, Steve, I can understand immigrants coming over here from war-torn countries, but Albania? Why don't they just take them to the nearest airport and send them home? Why don't they just take the flight in the first place? What's the point of risking life? I saw another baby being brought from the sea the other day. It's, uh, it's sort of people who are, who are sort of just... They're so desperate to get somewhere. I don't know why. I haven't asked Siri what zero divided by zero is yet. Is it, is it going to come up with a funny answer? I think we, we asked Siri some questions the other day, like, is it going to rain? Which was actually quite good. Is it going to rain today? Here we go. Yes, we should see some rain for today. There you go. It's good, isn't it? So should we try the zero one? If it comes up with something rude, I'll have to turn it off very quickly. <laughs> Here we go. What's zero divided by zero? Imagine that you have zero cookies. Oh, here we go. It's this one, isn't it? Zero friends. How many <laughs> cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are sad that you have no friends. That's right. I've heard that one before. I knew I'd heard that before. <laughs> it's so clever, isn't it? Honestly, I love the idea of phone talks to you. Apparently, it even knows my name. Even knows it doesn't know anything about food that I like to eat or anything like that. It just, uh, it just knows my name. I asked it the other day. It's, I don't think it's part of the... No, when we got that, it, 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 we thought it was. It just puts up the graph. So I was a bit happy with that, which was quite nice, which shows the 4am spike and us pulling away from everybody else, as per usual, as per usual. Uh, a lot of people talking about the, uh, the crocodile. You're still divided over this, um, over this silverback, aren't you? Which, which I find uh, quite pleasing, really, because I didn't know the answer to it either. But I thought if it, if it was my child, I would want to make sure that... Um, that it, it was OK, but we weren't sure what was going to happen. We weren't sure what was going to happen. Uh, Jackie says, when my brother died last year, the hospital knew he left a mass of debts. We were asked if we wanted the body released to an undertaker or if we wanted the hospital to take care of dispersal. It was perfectly clear that if they arranged dispersal, it would be a simple, unattended cremation with no ashes returned. And though I feel for the lad who wants his mother's ashes, I can't help but wonder if he attended a funeral service... As if the hospital arranged things, that would be very unusual. He's only 16, Jackie. Where's he supposed to get the money? She only left 70 quid. Where's he supposed to get the money from for a funeral? He's 16. If that had been in the papers when, she, when she'd actually died, they'd have had a whip round and they'd have paid for that funeral. Seriously, people in this country would have given money. He's 16. He's having to live with sort of relatives. He'd rather have his mum, I'm quite sure. Ashes or otherwise. Uh, Steve, uh, 84850... Uh, I've forgotten what I was doing now. Actually, 84850, steve at I say it so many times, I forget it. Uh, was the Joel Ross, to whom you're wishing many happy returns, the original host of Wrestle Talk on Challenge TV? If so, let him know the show was never as good when he left. Much love, the other Danny Cohen. I think he was, actually. I only say I think he was. I might be wrong. I sometimes get things wrong on this programme. It's not very often. We don't. Uh, and even if we do, we never acknowledge it. It's so much easier. Uh, other stories in the papers say, Joan Collins has got a great way of keeping fit at the age of... 82. Uh, she's got a, a battle with Westminster City Council. She's got, a, she's got a wet patch. It's a permanent puddle outside her house. And uh, she has to attempt to try and avoid it. She regularly tweets her frustrations over the lake. Now helpful taxi drivers even pull into the kerb in Westminster, central London, so she can avoid getting wet feet. 
Miss Collins launched her battle with Westminster City Council earlier this year by sending out tweets about the wet patch and posing by in different footwear. She said, I've become adept at circumventing the puddle with great dexterity. My puddle is keeping me fit. She said, I also got tweets telling me to get over it and wear wellies. The council, which has done one repair, said it's keeping tabs on the pothole. You watch, she'll fall in it next. Be like that elephant, won't it, that fell in that other thing. Another way, even people will sort of troll Joan Collins and say, get over it and wear wellies. You know, there's just there's so many stupid trolls out there. They really are the most pathetic bunch of people in their entire life. If they had friends or they had a brain cell between them, it'd be a blooming miracle. Uh, what, have you got um, a bloated tummy? Uh, they, they, they did a, a feature today on bloated tummy. What lies behind it? Um, there's one woman here who says, I get so bloated I look pregnant. Uh, there's one who says, I can't stop burping. Uh, one man who says, my stomach pains last days. And one lady who says, I only go to the toilet once a week. Once a week she goes to the toilet. And this is all through sort of bloated tummies. So if you, if you get bloated tummies, I know you can get tablets for it. I've seen them on the, uh, on the television being advertised. But in fact, you, there are six ways to beat the bloat. If you're one of those unlucky people, you've got to slash your stress levels. Uh, in fact, the other thing they say today, this is quite, you'll like this. If you work in an office... Uh, they say, leave your desk on a regular basis. Don't sit at your desk because it, it's, it's, it's not healthy for you. You have to leave, even if you go for a walk around. That's quite a good idea. I quite like that. Uh, learn your triggers. Learning what sets off your tummy flare-up can help reduce the frequency. Uh, boost your good bacteria levels. Eat early to avoid heartburn. How many times have you eaten something? Thought, oh, I've got the most awful indigestion. Uh, and also, up your fluid intake. When it comes to fighting constipation, eight glasses of fluid a day can help by flushing waste out of the system and reducing water retention. That was, that, that was the old thing, wasn't it? We used to look at Gemma Collins and go, of course it's water retention. The fact she's swallowed Lake Windermere, of course. Uh, cancer shook uh, Wayne's sleep. He appeared in I'm a Celebrity, was recently in uh, the Real Marigold Hotel. Did you see that? That was such a good little programme. I think Jan Leeming was on it. She's very grouchy, Jan Leeming, very grouchy. And uh, Miriam Margulies was on it. And Wayne Sleep. It was, it was the, the recreation of the, of the film. But it was done really well. A lot of people were saying, oh, I could quite happily go and, go and live in India, I think, and, and would enjoy every minute of it. Because you can live so much cheaper. Uh, there's also the Kent Migrant Brit Pair Boat Revealed. And uh, it's people who in many of these cases, who accept money to take people from one part of the world to the other. And um, I, I can't understand Albanians, though. I mean, it, is there something going on in Albania that I'm not uh, sort of aware of at all? Uh, they've also got a picture of this tot who drowned in the Mediterranean horror. It happens all the time. Who can forget that picture of the little boy whose body was washed up on the beach and somebody went down there and lifted him up? Who can forget things like that? It's just, it's heartbreaking. But very shortly, there's going to be nobody left in Europe. They're all going to be here. And I think we're literally at breaking point at the moment. Certainly there's enough rubbish all over the place. Enough people who, uh, I mean, just, they don't know how to behave, some of these people. Ghastly, it really is. It's terrible. I've definitely noticed a a downward trend, definitely. Uh, Another one here. Yeah, when the toddler fell into the enclosure at Jersey's, we've done this one about picking up the kid. But they don't always work like that, do they? You don't know whether or not that, that silverback was going to sling the child against the, uh, the wall. We have no idea. It certainly whizzed it through the water pretty fast, which for a gorilla baby might be fine, but not for a, not for a human child. LBC News Time, 5.30, the latest headlines for you this morning. It's Rupert Bartier. Eve Allen on LBC. 
Morning, everybody. It's Tuesday morning. It's the 31st of May, and it's 27 minutes nearly to 6 o'clock in the morning. So get yourself ready. It's back to work. I know you don't fancy the idea. Uh, the policewoman who used the racist word... Anyway, I can't use it. Uh, ..to refer to Mo Farah while on duty at the London Marathon has been sacked. Sergeant Kirsten Treasure was dismissed from the Met after 14 years. I mean, really? I'm looking at a picture. I thought it was a man when I first looked at the picture. I'm ever so sorry. That um, uh, she was found guilty of deliberately ignoring a junior officer's calls to respond to a knife attack. And her comments in 2014, uh, she also was guilty of using homophobic and racist language to officers and the public. The catalogue uh, from, uh, from this particular police officer is truly shocking. Well, I, I, can un- I can see that as well. I'm thinking to myself, she's been 14 years in the force and she uses, she uses homophobic language and racist language and also deliberately ignored a junior officer's calls to respond to a knife attack. Because father of three, Anthony Else, died after being stabbed in Croydon in 2014. Is the matter with this person? I mean, really? We don't want people like that, do we, in the police force? I thought they went through some sort of process where they sort of weed out people like that. But for 14 years, she's probably been getting away with it. And uh, and now she hasn't, so they've kicked her out. But, of course, now you're going to see pictures of her and people are going, oh, dear, I certainly wouldn't want to be employing that person. Because normally people, when they they come out of the police force, they get jobs as security advisors. I wouldn't want her advising on anything at all. Talking of advising people, you need to advise James O'Brien today. He's He's always pushing Kidderminster. He likes Kidderminster. And uh, they've got a nightclub there, Nubu. Uh, they, they sort of, they tried to be upmarket, but unfortunately they, they fail miserably as a girl, who was quite clearly in a drunken position, started performing sex acts on people in full view of everybody else. In Kidderminster, if you please. Anyway, uh, somebody says there was loads of cheering and they were taking pictures and everything else. Uh, the last uh, person they had doing a what they call a, an, an appearance there was somebody from Geordie Shaw called Marty McKenna, whoever that is. Never even heard of them. What a shame. Not to be known. So you get booked for an event and they go, I'm sorry, who is it? He's in Geordie Shaw. Which one? No idea. Not a clue. They all look exactly the same to me. But uh, that's in Kidderminster. James O'Brien will not be pleased at all. He'll be, he'll be quite gutted by things like that. Uh, and here's the Millie's Gurn Too Far. This is the dreary Millie Mackintosh. And uh, when they announced their divorce, the statement assured us the split was amicable and they still care deeply about each other. Clearly rubbish, writes one columnist in the papers today. On Sunday, Pro, on Sunday, Pro had a swipe at uh, Millie after she posted a snap of herself kissing... Ex-boyfriend Hugo Taylor by tweeting, Money really can't buy you class. Yesterday he poked fun at the faces she was making while out with her new man in Monaco, tweeting, London's gurning. Having seen, writes this particular columnist, Millie out of control on many a night out, I can't imagine what he's getting at. <laughs> There's obviously more of a story there. Poor old dreary Millie. And they what an old, what an old failure. What an old failure. And I love the way... See, I love it when they sort of go, oh, the heir to the Macintosh fortune. No, she's not. Absolutely not at all. Like the, the Paris Hilton, as you know. Uh, there's a couple here who collect, wait for it, tractors. I've never heard of people collecting tractors. I quite like the idea. They didn't just have uh, 10 or 15 of them. They had 63 of these. Sorry, 65 vintage tractors. And... Um, some of them are classics, and they've sold them at auction. John and May Keeley amassed the vehicles on their Berkshire farm over 40 years. They put the uh, collection up for auction after they died. The family did, quite clearly they didn't. And uh, they've got everything here. And they went for £1.5 million. 
One and a half million. There was a 1928 Foden D-type timber tractor which fetched 140,000. An 1873 John Fowler ploughing engine sold for 58,000. They were bidding from all over the world. Million and a half. They'd be pleased, wouldn't they? I think they'd be very, very pleased about uh, about something like that. But 65 tractors. Some of them must have gone for peanuts, I should imagine. Absolute peanuts. But uh, at least they got sold. Shame they didn't uh, enjoy them as much when they... Well, they probably did. They just sort of had them languishing on the farm. Uh, fans of Elvis, Graham and Paul. There's a piece in the uh, in the paper today, and it's about uh, the White Towers. This is an old story about Elvis Presley. Uh, it's inspired a, a movie to come out. Uh, what happens was, in this particular case, and it's well, well documented, uh, doc- documented in a book uh, written by uh, one of Elvis's uh, close circle of friends, Red, I think. My- I might not be right, right on that particular bit. But anyway, he-, he talked about the moment Elvis was high as a kite a lot of the time with all sorts of drugs to make him wake up, to go to sleep, to go to the toilet. He was on just about everything that there was. And he decided that he was going to do something about uh, about drugs culture, which was amazing, seeing as he had so many prescription drugs in his house, because in America in those days, you could go into a town uh, and your doctor could write a prescription and you'd go and get them from the local chemist. They don't know that you've been to every other chemist in the county because it, it, they didn't have computers, so they didn't know these sort of things. Anyway, he was high as a kite. He decided to take his uh, plane and he went to the White House and he got to the gates and uh, they went, oh, God, it's Elvis Presley. and I want to see the president. And so he met the president, uh, where President Nixon uh, gave him an FBI badge, which meant that he became a law enforcer uh, and he could carry drugs and guns. And he became the person who actually... And they, they gave him this sort of photocard thing and everything else. A really bizarre story of, uh, of Presley sort of believing that he could sort of sort out all these people. And yet he was in the same position himself. So that's what it was. They've actually got a, a picture uh, of the letter that was written by Elvis Presley. Wouldn't you love to have an Elvis Presley letter? Would you not? Absolutely. And a picture of a gun and um, and also uh, a letter from the president. Not handwritten as Elvis's was, because uh, Elvis did write uh, handwrite. He didn't have anybody else write it for him. If he thought about something, he would do it himself. And so, uh, so that that's why he was doing he was doing very well actually. But unfortunately, it was this horrible combination of drugs that he was on, which he uh, which he shouldn't have been. But he did. He actually got them from all sorts of places, apart from his uh, his doctor, who was writing out prescriptions left, right and centre. Uh, ever since uh, the Manuels were caught up in a row over a Rangers football mug, uh, Google Box's newest family haven't had the easiest ride. Now, I've only ever seen a few episodes of, sorry, of Gogglebox. I've only ever seen a few episodes of it. It just seems to me it's another bunch of people who want to be on the television, who want to show off, and who think they've got something to contribute to life, whereas they, uh, they've, I think they've now been dropped. Uh, Mum Donna, Dad Charles and son Grant say they're too busy to commit to filming, but uh, we are told they didn't cut the mustard with the producers. They haven't really worked out. The mugrow in their debut episode was unfortunate. The problem with understanding them isn't ideal either. And, uh, a spokesman of Channel 4 said, I love this line here, the Gogglebox cast is ever-evolving, with new families regularly joining old families returning, which keeps the show fresh and interesting. Yes, fresh and interesting, something the man well sadly were not. <laughs> and Nick Grimshaw thinks he's coming back to television, whereas, in fact, he's got about as much personality as, um, as, a, as a brush, I'm afraid. His, uh, his last television debut was disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Kicked off the X Factor because he just didn't work with the viewers. He had nothing in common with anybody at all. You know, then they sort of showed pictures of him with Daisy Lowe and the uh, and this sort of 
set of people. And I began to think to myself, what's he doing on there? And this was Simon Cowell trying to boost up the ratings of the programme that was dying on its proverbial. And now he's gone back to what they had before. We've got dro- drony old Nicole Scherzinger, whose career really didn't take off at all. She was about to go into Cats in America, but then she dropped that idea to come back to us over here. Uh, then you've got Sharon Osbourne, who I always liked in the first place, and Louis Walsh. They never should have changed it. They never should have changed anything. They actually should have kept exactly the same cast. They could have saved a small fortune, a small fortune, and yet they decided not to. They decided that they want to put different people in there, and it didn't work. If it isn't broke, don't try and fix it. Uh, it may sound harsh, says June, but the 16-year-old with 70 quid doesn't ring true to me. Even if his mother was on benefits, these are paid in arrears, so basic benefits for a minimum of two weeks would be more than 70 quid. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We just know that he got left £70. That was it. Uh, and it would. Uh, and why would they lie? Why would they lie about it? There'd be no reason for them to lie about it. They say benefits can be claimed towards funeral costs. What, a 16-year-old can claim? Really? And at 16, he'd be appointed a social worker who'd help with claims. Well, I don't think it works like that. I don't think... You can get 1,500 quid, can you, really, off the social for burying people? Why do people have pauper's funerals, then? If you can claim towards funeral costs about 1,500 quid, why would anybody ever have pauper's funerals? Yet we have them every day of the week. Every day of the week. I've yet to find a funeral that only costs 15 quid. And also, perhaps he didn't want a social... He just wanted his mother's ashes. That's all he wanted at the end of the day. He didn't want anything else. He wanted his his mum's ashes, and he wanted to scatter them where she wanted them scattered. He didn't want them just sort of left to the uh, the hospital's devices. And that means that they would have done it at the crematorium. At each crematorium, they've got an area where you can scatter ashes. But uh, he wanted to do them in a local park. It wouldn't have made any difference where they did them. Some people do them on, on boats. You go out on a little boat on the river and you do scattering of ashes. They do it round our way. We have a lot of the uh, the Indian scattering of uh, of ashes. They go round the back of Eel Pie Island on a little boat, and uh, then they cut anchor and they wait there and they do a little service and a ceremony and they scatter the ashes on the water, and uh, that seems to work perfectly well, perfectly well. George Sampson making an appearance during the Britain's Got F- uh, Talent final last week. He's again hitting the screens tonight. He's in Emmerdale. And he is the one, he's a dancer-turned-actor. He's also, unfortunately, an internet star for other reasons. Uh, he's reprising his role as Ryan, who was bribed by Robert Sugden to make abuse allegations against Gordon Livesey earlier this year. My God, it's gone all racy-pacy over in Emmerdale. Tense scenes will see Liv uh, Flaherty grow so paranoid over a cyberbully that she recruits Ryland for a scheme against main suspect Robert. See, because the, the guy who plays Robert Sugden now is not the original Robert Sugden. There was another Robert Sugden, wasn't there? Which, and then that, that changed some time ago. Anyway, over on EastEnders, Ian Beale finally hears child psycho Bobby Beale's fate at the police station. Will the troublesome teenager and schoolboy be charged? I don't know, because I've not seen any of the storylines. I've got no idea, actually absolutely no idea at all of what any of the storylines are. I wish I did have. I wish I did have. But then at the same time, I'm probably thinking, no, why would you bother? Uh, Still to come, the oldest ginger in town at the age of 30. It's a pussycat. It's a pussycat, in case you uh, uh, didn't twig to that one. Otherwise, that'd be a bit silly, wouldn't it? I knew there was a paper I'm missing. Wait a minute. I'm missing an express this morning. Isn't it funny? I get the Daily Star, but I didn't get the Express. We've got an Express anywhere. I wonder why I didn't get one. I was was going through the papers this morning. I never never even thought about it. I've got the Mirror, the Sun, the Mail, 
And I always get the Metro, although, to be honest with you, there's never sort of a, a huge amount in the Metro. There's enough to keep you going on a train journey, but that's about it. And uh, their main headline on the Metro is Depp. This is Johnny. Is he really Johnny Rotten? Well, his uh, daughter's come out and said, no, he's perfect. Uh, it's all beginning to stack up against the, uh, the ex-wife, who doesn't seem to be the nicest person on the planet. Uh, Amber hits back at claims she vowed to blackmail Johnny Depp. She's, she's got legal advice. It's going to turn quite ugly, this one. Quite ugly. Don't tangle with the old bisexuals. My God, you'll never live it down. And uh, a nice while it lasted, say the papers, but prepare for the downpour. The downpour will occur this morning and you're going to get very wet. So here is the advice. You can tell people as well, if they're listening to the radio, Steve Allen said, take an umbrella. Because I bet you I will leave here today. It'll be tipping down outside. I just have to check with Courtney. And um, and then uh, and you see people who get totally... Oh, lovely, thank you. You get people who get totally wet because they don't bother to, uh, to heed the advice on LBC, which is take an umbrella because it's going to be very wet indeed. Quarter to six. Leading Britain's conversation. Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Very interesting. After we, uh, we talked on the programme about the, uh, the story of Fergus Ancorn, who turned up. He's 97. He's a prisoner of war who survived a massacre in a hospital. And uh, he's the oldest member of the Magic Circle who's still doing his magic, the conjurer on the River Kwai. And it's captured the imagination of the papers because uh, yesterday he got uh, two pages in the sun. I think there was a page in the mirror, two pages in uh, there was a half a page or full, full page in the Times. He certainly popped up in loads and loads of uh, newspapers, which is nice. At 97, and now they've actually got him in the Express today. I told you he had a book um, out, which is impossible to get hold of at the moment. It's not a cheap book. It's a, it's almost like a, a pamphlety type thing, um, and it's and you can find it. It's uh, written by him, and it's on Amazon. How much it costs at the moment, I've got no idea. But I remember going on there the other day and I couldn't uh, couldn't find copies of it at all, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, it's, for 97, he's quite remarkable, seriously. Whatever you, you know, think about his sort of magic, maybe his magic isn't as good as somebody else's, but he's still enthusiastic about it. And he turned up for Richard Jones, who dedicated his trick to him by doing the uh, the soldier's deck of cards, but finishing up with a picture of Fergus on there. And, uh, and it was lovely. And then, of course, the coup de grace, as I said yesterday, was sort of bringing up the, uh, the Union flag, and there was Fergus, surrounded by some, some military people. And that did it, especially playing I Vow to Thee, My Country, which was uh, brilliant. And uh, that's why he won. That's why he won, because I think it fires the British imagination. Uh, I think people like that kind of thing. We like a bit of, <coughs> excuse me, patriotism. And, um, and it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. So, it, so well done to him for winning. Uh, here we go. This is very interesting. This is somebody who used to be on television all the time. He's 57 and he had a stroke. And if, if I give you his catchphrase, you will know who he is immediately. His catchphrase used to be, chase me. And his name was Duncan Norvell. And he's, uh, he says, I, I was, when I had my stroke, pardon me, I would never walk again. He's had a, a very hectic uh, life. Uh, he's pictured in the paper with Roger de Corsi, I think could be listening to this programme, and Nuki Bear, naughty Nuki Bear, but uh, Roger, but uh, sorry, not Roger de Corsi, Roger, Roger's fine, thank you. Uh, Duncan Norvell had this stroke, but he used to, he, he's also got type 2 diabetes, which he developed after he got the stroke. He's now joined a gym, he's doing acupuncture, um, he has toured with his own show, a comics take on illness called A Stroke of Luck. And um, so he's backing the Stroke Association. 
must be dreadful, actually, if you try and uh, get that all back together again. But I remember seeing him on television programmes. He was as camp as a Christmas tree. And yet, of course, it came out in the paper that he was married and he had girlfriends and all sorts of things. And people were going, are you sure? They went, but he's, he's playing gay on television. I said, yes. Well, lots of people used to. Lots of people used to. It was it was sort of semi-fashionable. He'd come on stage and he'd just stand up in this very tight suit. We had an Australian comedian who did roughly the same kind of thing, but I think he was gay. Uh, and Duncan wasn't, but that was that was the joke, I think. And he'd come on and he touched the presenter of the programme, chase me. And that was it. And he did it with this sort of... this. You could see him on YouTube. It, it just It's one of those things that makes you smile... But at the same time, then, then when we discovered he was heterosexual, I was kind of a bit disappointed. I thought that, you know, he, uh, he, he might not have been, but it turns out the other way completely. Uh, you know, there were loads of those uh, comedians, you know, who just, they didn't have to say very much to make you laugh. Ken Goodwin was a classic example, and I've talked on the programme about uh, Ken, who passed away a little while ago now, and I've met his, uh, his wife I've met her on a couple of occasions and said, thank you for, for remembering him. I said, but he, he would stand there and, on the television and he just, you know, he like that. just make you laugh. He didn't just say anything. He just was a funny person. Some people are funny people. Yesterday, do you remember somebody wrote in saying that they were going off to see Ken Dodd? And I said, I've seen Ken Dodd. I said, brace yourself. I said, you could be there for hours and hours. And, um, you know, but again, very, very funny. Uh Malcolm says, I've got a friend who was mad about tractors, but he's now lost interest in, in them. We call him an ex-tractor fan. <laughs> Thank you. Funerals are very expensive, Steve. My dad's basic uh, last month was over 4,000, says Alan. Really? Good grief. What did you have? A fleet of vehicles. I think for my mother's, we just had one car and the hearse. But, of course, coffins turn out terribly expensively, don't you? I mean, to be honest with you, you know, people nowadays have these uh, eco-funerals and you can have horse straw. I mean, you could rack up the money quite easily. But uh, you never find a poor funeral director. You never find a funeral director going out of business, do you, for lack of work? There's always going to be work. Always going to be work. And they always have very plain offices. I told you years ago that a friend of mine is a funeral director. And uh, I said, but if funerals are so expensive... Um, why are the offices just plain? He said, because if you if people sat in the office, he said, and, uh, and you present them with a bill and it's got all lovely furniture in there and you present them with a bill for £5,000, he said, they're all going to go, well, I can see where you're spending it. He said, if you sit there with a very plain desk and just some flowers on them, which might or might not be plastic, then you can justify it. And they just show you a catalogue of which coffin you like. And then you pick out the coffin and then they sort of, they, it just comes as a bare coffin. Then they line it and do all the usual things with it. To be honest with you, I don't really care what I'm lying in at the end of my life. It's not going to make any difference to me. It'll make different. I thought I could just go in in a brown paper bag or something, a fairly large brown paper bag, make it marginally more interesting. <laughs> oh dear, honestly, the things we talk about on this programme. So £4,000 now, that seems like a lot of money, a lot of money. Raining in Canterbury, Steve, says Neil. On his uh, way to work, H&S manager at the, uh, at the M25, Junction 30. That's nice, doesn't it? I quite like that idea. Junction 30. Does it mean something? <laughs> and, um, and then Stephen says, driving home, the taxi wasn't listening to LBC. He says, so I requested LBC for the one and only Steve Allen show, and I've added to the spike. I like people added to the spike. Um because we have a we have a good spike on this uh, on this program. In fact, we have we have the best spike that's going. In fact, we have the only spike. Let's have a picture of. Oh, this is a, a bloke who's in the uh, papers today. He was handpicked by Beyonce and Madonna to write for them, and now I think it's M. Is it Emenek? Emenek? 
Uh, he aims to help gay black youngsters. He comes from Lewisham. He penned Madge's Living for Love exclusively. And he was telling the, uh, the Metro today, he says, as a black gay artist as a kid, a big part of, of how uncomfortable I was uh, because I didn't have a role model. I didn't see anybody on television who was also black and gay. And so he's hung out with his idols, Bay and Madonna. He said, I'm very comfortable in my sexuality. He says, I do have a loving boyfriend who's very cool and really safe. And there you go. He's also playing the V Festival. He has a, a track out uh, at night, I think, about you. So that's good, isn't it? So well done to him. As I say, you don't find many sort of young people doing that nowadays, especially not sort of many, many young black uh, people coming out. Uh, more on this, uh, the son, Caleb. They say he's, he was left with no family and just £70 inheritance. His mother might not have been on benefits. Somebody pointed out earlier on that his mother might have been on benefits, uh, or was on benefits, but uh, it, it appears not. They just didn't have any uh, money. But they, they have decided... Oh, the hospital paid 1390 for the funeral, and due to a contract with an undertaker, the crematorium retained the patient's ashes. A contract with the... Why would you want somebody's ashes? Surely they're only appropriate to the, the family who, who owned the person. They only help with funerals if you're on benefits, says Steve. Bob Down was the Australian, who's a radio presenter. Is he really? Is he really? He used to make me laugh over here. He, ca- he came to my uh, foot... No, I can't remember which birthday he came to. Anyway, he came to a birthday. That's all I can tell you. He came to a, a Steve Allen birthday, which was always uh, very good. I remember, says Ian, he was going to be the host of a dating show. They got cold feet on ITV, so Scylla Black got it. Really? Oh. Is that why? Well, she made it her own, didn't she? It was her birthday the other day. It would have been her uh, funeral. And uh, Howard says, no Express newspapers this morning. Couldn't find any new weather, health or Diana stories. Actually, there is a Diana story. There is a Diana story. You're going to like it. Uh, have you got some money? Have you got a, a bit of money lying around? I hope so, because uh, her brother, Viscount Althrop, has decided that he's going to rent out part of the house, part of the house where Diana grew up. And so you can do bed and breakfast there at the weekend. However, it's fairly expensive bed and breakfast. And when I say fairly expensive bed and breakfast, it's very expensive bed and breakfast. Uh, for example, when you see four in a bed, bed and breakfast there, the average, I mean, the most expensive I've ever seen is about 200 quid. Uh, if I tell you that Viscount Althrop is charging for a couple for three nights, £40,000, you get a rough idea that we're talking not just any old bed and breakfast. If there's 18 of you, 18 of you, then uh, the price goes up to £250,000. But that does include, you know, fine dining, you can use the grounds and everything else. And you can probably even sleep in the bedroom that Diana slept in as a child. And the money, is, incidentally, is not going to him. It's going to a charity that he and his wife support. So there is a Diana story, but it didn't come from the Express. It just uh, it came from me. So now you know. La-la-la-la-la. Uh, Jason says, thank you for the advice on Tomorite. Not only is your show witty and a great laugh, but a great source of garden resources. Yes, uh, I, uh, I agree with you. Absolutely. And Tomorite is the thing. And people keep saying there are other uh, liquid tomato feeds available. They might be. But uh, the only one that I've ever used is Tomorite because it's got more potassium in it than the other ones. And that makes the difference. So, in other words, you can double the size of your basket. I mean, try it. Just water one with water and then water one next to it. It seems a waste of a basket. Uh, Water one one next to it with a mixture of water and a little bit of Tomorite shoved in there. And you'll notice the difference. It's, it's seriously, it, it makes a lot of difference to, uh, to plants and to flowers and to just about everything. 
just it just makes everything bigger, makes everything bigger, and uh, and it it looks lovely. It does. And I'm hoping that after we've had the deluge of rain today, things might sort of get back into it. So they've said for, forget about the sunshine at the moment. I think for the remainder of this week, I think you're going to be having a little bit of uh, a little bit of wetness. In fact, actually, quite a little bit of wetness at the moment. Uh, and also bad news for me. And I've, I've gone into almost a semi decline. The Prosecco producers, they say, could be the victims of their own success, despite huge growth. The sparkling Italian wine has failed to create a strong individual brand and may lose market share to rival regions. Oh, God, don't say that to me, honestly. It's only uh, it's only Tuesday. I don't want to sort of think that, you know, Prosecco... Because there isn't one brand of Prosecco, is there? There doesn't seem to be a hierarchy. This one's better than that one. I know that the other day I sort of... I, I went upstairs and I thought, oh, right, oh, God, I've got no Prosecco. I have to go back down to the car to go and retrieve it. So much easier. Uh, Johnny Depp's wife has been scheming against him for ages. Apparently she uh, she did form um, uh, a private relationship with another woman and apparently they had some sort of service. Makes you wonder why she bothered getting married to Johnny Depp at all. Chris Evans has hit back. We're not flop gear, he said. We're not flop gear. Uh, the UK's open coastline in shambles down at Dimchurch. It's on a regular basis. And nobody's patrolling. It's up to the people who live down there and people who live along the coast to report things. You see a boat coming round laden with people, you call the police and they can be waiting for them. The football coming home after a hundred years and uh, the teenage girls at Kate's old school hiring a stripper. Naughty, naughty. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday, 31st of uh, May. The McCann's appeal bid after the COP won. They've decided to go back into court on a technicality. They're saying if they lose, uh, they could lose big time financially. Uh, the boozer in court for the 448th offence. I don't know what the answer is. Quite clearly, a long time in prison. Uh, also, uh, weird advice from TV uh, expert Chris Packham. Eat tadpoles. He apparently did as a child. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Perhaps he's lost the will to live. The skin cancer, her cure, hope for millions of people. Uh, the football coming home after a hundred years. And uh, the teenage girls at Kate's old school hiring a stripper. One of the girls is clearly identified on the front page of The Sun. And I love the sign that somebody sent to me. It says, I only drink Prosecco on two occasions. When it's my birthday and when it's not. And that comes from uh, from Stephen, who sings, apparently. He's, I only say he sings, because he, he sings, he says, I sing and play acoustic guitar. I always think that's quite clever, actually. I was, I, was, I was watching some people today in an orchestra. What was it? It might have been the Scottish Orchestra or the Auckland Orchestra. And they were playing the uh, theme from Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a brilliant piece of music. Dun, 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 dun. And when you watch an orchestra playing it, you think, are they really playing or is that, are they just miming along to it? And then you think, it looks quite easy to play violins and French horns and all the rest of it. And yet I can do neither. So perhaps that could be uh, the achievement this year. But uh, Stephen's a producer in television. He loves media, politics and badminton. And that's where we have to disappear. I hate anything to do with politics and badminton. I can't quite see badminton. I, well, I have played it in the past, actually. But uh, never actually never actually sort of taken it up. It was always far too energetic. If you watch people playing badminton seriously in a, in a court, it's very fast. We used to play it more like, could we keep the shuttlecock up in the air as long as possible? <laughs> and swing ball was very popular in our family till it started ruining the grass and then mother and father started getting a little bit irate about things. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, Other stories in the papers today were the, the sad story about uh, Prince Philip. 
who is uh, too ill, I think, uh, to go to the war tribute. On the doctor's orders, the doctors have said rest. He's coming up 95. Uh, I think he's amazing. I seriously think he's absolutely amazing. Do you know the one thing the royal family never eat? Out of all the foods that you can have in the entire world, the only thing that they will not touch, and it will not go in any of their food, garlic. They do not touch garlic. They won't have it anywhere near them. They don't order it. They don't grow it. They have nothing to do with it. And the reason is that uh, they're always meeting people, so they, they sort of worry a little bit about the fact that somebody might smell garlic. Whereas we've all eaten garlic before. I can remember walking into a bedroom once. I was sharing a flat in London years and years ago with um, three girls who used to go to Arts Ed because they were ballet dancers, and then some of them didn't make it as ballet dancers. They went on to be, uh, you know, just dancers. Actually, when I think about it now, they must all be my age now. They must have retired ages ago, poor things. And um, and I remember coming in one night, and Angela, one of the girls, used to work in a club, had eaten garlic. And I promise you, I opened the bedroom door, and it was like you were hit by a wall of garlic. I've never actually experienced anything like it in my entire life. And I sort of backed out of the bedroom thinking, dear Lord above, I didn't realise it was that powerful. I mean, she must have been chewing the stuff. Mind you, I did know somebody who ate raw garlic. They would chew garlic. And I know that uh, Michael Van Stratton years ago, known as Dr Garlic, he used to advocate eating garlic because it's very good for you. It's very good for blood. Very good for purifying the blood. But mind you, water is very good for purifying the blood as well. In fact, you should eat, they tell me, about eight glasses a day, which doesn't seem that uh, that much. I drink water. In fact, we've got, isn't it funny, years and years ago, nobody touched water. Well, apart from out of the tap. Now, we eat it all the time. All the time. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, another one here. On the subject of uh, Brooklyn and Rocco, I'm getting uh, withdrawal symptoms, says Big Julie today. Scouting through the news for my daily Brooklyn and Rocco update. Thank goodness I found a picture of one of them going through the airport carrying a skateboard. I know, I get, I get withdrawal symptoms as well if the Beckhams haven't featured. But I've been through every paper today and uh, we don't have a Beckham story. There is no Beckham story. They haven't sold... Sorry, given... Sorry, taken their own photographer. Oh, sorry. Uh, anything like that out. Because it's either a picture of, uh, of Brooklyn, who apparently is... I mean, it's a world... They don't say he's intelligent. They just say he can make a cup of coffee and take a photograph. So not exactly sort of going to the top of my tree anytime soon. Uh, the other story, Fergus Ancorn, uh, the conjurer on the River Kwai. It's got probably more people. I know that he's going to be at the Magic Circle today. And he's going to be with Richard Jones. And I know that they're going to have lots of pictures taken. And uh, they're, they're, they're actually going to do, I think there's going to be a publicity campaign because uh, three previous winners of Britain's Got Talent, I think there's America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, and something else, are all members of the Magic Circle. Paul Zerdin over in America uh, with Sam and the baby and all the rest of it, he's a member of the Magic Circle. Uh, Richard Jones, member of the Magic Circle, I'm a member of the Magic Circle. And, uh, and there's somebody else as well, all people who've been on the talent programme, and uh, they're members of the Magic Circle. So if nothing else, it will boost up interest in it. But I think they're going to be releasing pictures uh, later on today. They'll be taking them, I think, when Circle opens tonight, because Monday night is club night, as they say. Uh, let's see if the weather's changed. Wet and windy, heavy thunder. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And uh, Viscount Althrop is not cashing in then, says David. No, he's not. No, he's, uh, this, this money goes to charity. The money they make on this thing goes to charity. And you know, because I've reported it on the programme, that uh, the gardener tidying up the Arnhem Memorial, it's a £3 million uh, deal to tidy it all up. But, but to be honest with you, it's his sister. He can bury her where he wants. 
It's really got nothing to do with anybody else. The royal family had nothing to do with it. And, um, you know, he it was his sister. It was his sister. He was her, her brother. And she's buried on the island. I should imagine it's probably the least of his uh, problems. Listen, you can go around graveyards and cemeteries any day of the week and you'll find places that are overgrown. So, really, he's actually not doing uh, too badly at all. And this, this money coming in... This, this money coming in does go straight to charity. It, it, I mean, you know, it's a lot of money, 40000 for three nights bed and breakfast. For t- it's uh, two people, he says, trying to justify it. Two people bed and breakfast, 40000 Do you take a cheque? No, cash, <laughs> imagine. And, uh, and Baba says, how do you manage to talk the whole of your programme continuously? What's the secret? Money. It's money. I'm motivated by money. I'm, I'm terribly shallow, terribly shallow. I'm, uh, I'm one of these sort of people. Well, that's what I get paid to do. It'd be ridiculous if you sat down there. We've said before that other people have sat in on the programme years and years ago. And, uh, and they, they struggled with sitting down talking. But because I'm so used to doing it, I don't know, I can talk to myself for days. And have done. I'm constant, my mind is constantly racing. And as I'm talking to you now, I'm scanning a newspaper in front of me, deciding which story I'm going to do. So I can keep, so in fact, everything I do, I can weave into the programme. It's not difficult. I promise you, after you've been doing it for this amount of time, it's, uh, I could probably do it with my eyes closed. In fact, the day after the Archiva Awards, I did do this programme with my eyes closed. Twice I fell asleep. Twice I felt myself going. I didn't actually go under. And I was sort of reading something. Oh, God, I'm going. You know when you, you're fighting to stay awake? I don't know if you've ever driven down the motorway late at night and all of a sudden the motorway lighting vanishes. And I find motorway driving possibly the most boring at night time because I'm constantly looking for lights and I'm constantly amazed at how many people drive without lights at night. If I was this plainclothes policeman that I really want to be, I'd be nicking cars left, right and centre. Anyway, you sort of drive down the motorway and all of a sudden you sort of, you're, you're lulled by the sound of the engine, you're lulled by the sound of the music you're listening to. Even if I sing along, and I do sing along to quite a bit of music, I do find myself, especially if it's late at night, if I've been down to see my godchildren, we've had to start doing lunch because lunch is easier because we used to go out for evening meal and so I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't leave them till about nine o'clock, which by the time I got back was half past ten, which was really a bit too late. So we do lunch now and that's nice. We can have a nice lazy sort of morning, then go out for lunch and then do a garden centre or something like that. And that I like. But I have driven back at night time and I found myself falling asleep. Oh, it's a dreadful feeling. You know what it's like. Lorry drivers and everything else, you see them parked up in laybys. They're literally taking their rest because they need to. If you're driving a long time, I don't know how people manage it. I seriously don't. I mean, I, I find it terribly tiring at night. And uh, you get, it's just woo, woo, cars overtaking you and lights in the, in the mirror and all the rest of it. And you think, I could just close my eyes now. I can understand why people have accidents. They just close their eyes and just, uh, and just wander off to sleep. Which doesn't sound very good, does it? Not really. Not very, uh, not very promising. Uh, somebody else was talking to me uh, about the cost of funerals nowadays. Shows how long it is. Shows how long it is until I've, uh, the last time we paid for a, paid for a funeral. And uh, apparently now, you know, 4,000, 4,000 is actually quite, um, quite unique. Quite unique now, isn't it, for, a, for, a, uh, for something like that. Uh, Steve, if a musician makes you think it looks easy to play their instrument, then they're doing their job. I mean, I'm just amazed that people can just, just play a violin and they make it look so easy. And I seriously, I sit there in admiration. I can, I can watch YouTube orchestras for ages and I'm looking at them thinking, God, that's really good. I mean, oh dear, how wonderful to be able to do that. Do you have to start at a very early age? Because it always, I remember there used to be Yehudi Menuhin when I was younger, and he had a Yehudi Menuhin school. And 
I think, I might be wrong on this, I think there are some Korean children on the, on the YouTube, and the average age is about four, and they're all playing um, these, I think they're playing double basses and violins and cellos and stuff like that. They're the most amazing children. I mean, it's almost like somebody's miniaturised adults, and they're playing these instruments, and they, play, and they look like babies, the instruments dwarf them, and they're playing on YouTube. If somebody finds it, let me know exactly what it's called, and then we'll sort of point you in the right direction. If I find it later today, I'll put a, put a link up on it for, for YouTube. Because you need to see them. Because obviously their parents have started them at a very, very early age, and it's paid off, because these kids are whizzos. Absolute whizzos. That's a good word. Uh, time for you now. It's LBC News time. The latest headlines at 6.15. Rupert Bartia. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. 6.19 and a tiny bit. It'll be 6.20 very shortly, so if you're catching a train at 6.30, run! Uh, Sim, who's a milkman and kit man for Grey's Athletic FC. He's, he's, he's got a question I should ask Siri. I have to check it out first, Sim, on what it is, just in case it's something rude that comes back. So I'll, I'll check it out later, but thank you for the advice. Now I've got used to talking to Siri, I feel like we're sort of old friends. Old friends. And uh, Serena says, My fiancé and I spent the weekend near your neck of the woods in St Margaret's. Uh, my fiancé and I fell in love with Richmond so much we're thinking of moving there later this year. Save your pennies. What the commute is like into city. Easy peasy. Can I do? In fact, it's dead easy from Richmond. Dead easy. You can either go to Richmond. Well, you can go to Richmond Station and you can take the fast train, which will take you to Waterloo. Does uh, Richmond, Clapham Junction, Waterloo. You can do a slow train, which stops everywhere in between. But I mean, who wants to do that one? And uh, very regular service. Or you can take the underground district line goes in. So, I mean, it's equally as good from, from Twickenham. Equally as good from Twickenham. But uh, very nice. Very nice indeed. Uh, and somebody has uh, pointed out that if you own your own house, you can legally bury anybody in the garden, as long as you tell the buyer if you sell up. Yes, there's a stipulation on that as well. I don't want people to start digging up the garden to bury, you know, uh, grandmother or something like that. You have to check with the local council on whether it's a water course. If there is a water course that runs under your garden, you cannot bury somebody there because the contamination would be too great. So you have to get it checked by the council. You can't just sort of dig somebody up. And also, you try buying a coffin... You will come up immense, against immense barriers. They did a feature in a paper a short while ago on how difficult it was to actually buy a coffin. You could probably make a coffin easier than you could buy one because most of the manufacturers will not sell to the public. Because when you actually buy one, you suddenly realise that a coffin that costs maybe 150 quid, by the time it gets to you, can be over £1,000. So you've got to, be, got to be careful. But they, they did have the case of somebody who said, I want to try and buy a coffin. And somebody said, well, good luck with that one. And I think eventually they did get hold of it, but it was a hell of a process. What do you want to buy a coffin for? They go, well, I just want to have my own coffin. I don't know why people would want that, but there you go. People do. But you, you can't just bury somebody in the garden just by digging a hole and popping them in. Even if you do tell the, uh, the buyer of your house if you're selling it, oh, by the way, Auntie Enid's buried in the garden. You know, we only buried her last week, so there's a chance she might come back yet. I always think if we bury her face down and think, well, she'll not be going anywhere when she starts digging, will she? So Chris um, Packham, always been slightly peculiar, and this time he's, uh, he has a book out, I think, and he talks about his struggles with depression at the Hay Festival, which my brother went to. He said it was really good. He loved it. But uh, nothing at all to do with uh, that, but to do with um, eating um, tadpoles. He says as a child, he used to eat them. He said they're slightly moorish because they're quite difficult to taste. Ooh, dear me. He says of pet rabbits, he says we just 
don't revise our ideas quick enough based on the science of how animals live. Rabbits were kept in hutches because we were growing them for food, not keeping them as pets. Oh, no. So if you're not going to eat your rabbit, why not give it a better quality of life and not cram it into a hutch? Is he saying the same about dogs? Or is, or is he a bit squeamish about dogs and pussycats and things like that? I know people sent him roadkill, apparently. But he says um, they do need rabbits, uh, an open space to run around. They're highly social animals, don't like being kept on their own. No, I don't, I don't quite understand why people keep rabbits in hutches. There might be people listening who probably have the kids who've got rabbits or a tortoise or something like a tortoise, a tortoise. Um, and they might keep them because they would sort of see. But, you know, rabbits need handling so that they get used to, to people. And uh, uh, my brother, I told you years ago, used to have one. It was blind, a blind rabbit. It picked up some illness and it went blind. So he couldn't rearrange the sitting room. It was a house rabbit. And so it would run around, but it knew where everything was. It seemed to have this, this ability to know these uh, things. Uh, Steve, it's the norm in China uh, for kids to start a musical instrument at three. But uh, many are hot-housed. Oh, right. I don't even know what hot housing is, but it sounds great. These ones on the television, I'm sure they're from Korea. South Korea, North Korea, somebody's career, I don't know. But they're very good. But they're playing it with, with gusto. You've never seen such determination on their faces. Whereas I've seen other people saying, eh, 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 eh. And you think, oh, God, it's painful. And the parents sit there with a fixed smile on their face going, they're really good, aren't they? Really good. Oh, God. <laughs> We're paying for this. And uh, I've only ever seen the Chinese miniature orchestra. Says Suan. Um, I don't know what they're called. I don't know what they're called. They're just little children. They're just little children. And, and they're very, very good. I mean, even even better than good. Even better than good. They're just, they're really super. Really, really super. Uh, kids play, oh, is it guitars they're playing? Actually, they might be playing uh, guitars. I think, yes. They, do you know... <laughs> I'm now backtracking on uh, what I thought. It, they're playing guitars which are bigger than them. Is it called Creepy as Hell? It's on, it's on YouTube. You, you, you can check it out later. <laughs> uh, the address of the Conversations uh, website uh, link. I can't remember, actually. You'll have to go back over the, uh, the programme to find it, because I can't remember exactly what it is, actually. Uh, I don't miss hearing about uh, David Beckham today one bit it's, uh, it says it's always been a source, says Paul, of surprise and disappointment that the masses continue to be mesmerised by the pass-the-sell-by-date footballer and his family. Yeah, some people don't um, don't see it like that. I mean, to be honest with you, I can't understand what this this sort of overwhelming desire they all have for attention-seeking. You know, Victoria's only got a break wind, and immediately there's a photograph of her doing it or wearing her big dark glasses. Once you've seen one picture, it could have been taken ten years ago. She looks exactly the same. She hasn't changed. And uh, they're always going, so what, is, what does Dave do? And the answer is Dave just spends most of his time staring into the distance. I think the idea of trying to introduce him as an international businessman kind of fell flat when we discovered that all he advertised was underpants and whiskey, which was a bit boring. Uh, and then the son goes out on his skateboard. He's got a little girlfriend. But whether or not any of them go to school, we're not aware of it. One's done a bit of modelling for Burberry, and God knows they milked that. And the rest of it, you know, she had to borrow money from Dave to prop up her company. I just don't quite understand the endless fascination with them. And I've met them both. I bet they're, they're perfectly fine. Absolutely perfectly fine. I just don't understand why the papers... Is it laziness? Perhaps it's laziness. Let's just put a picture in of, of the Beckhams. And, uh, and then, you know, and people would be fine about it. And you think, but Why? They're either here or they're in America. 
And to be honest with you, I couldn't care less either way. Uh, Steve, my father's funeral service, says Owen, in 2004 was around £2,000. Virtually the same service for mother. This month was 7000 7000 Good God, what did you get for 7000 See, seven. I don't understand how there can be. You've only got a hearse and a coffin and flowers, if, if, you, if you choose to have flowers, and then one car for the family. It's only if you start racking up the cars, I should imagine. It's cheaper to get married. If you get married, the average cost of having a Rolls-Royce or a, or a Bentley or whatever you want, it's about 300 quid if you want to get married, because they're only doing the journey to the church and then back to the reception. That's it. Then the car disappears off again. So you often see those. I mean, I could probably do weddings in... Uh, my, I couldn't do funerals, really, but I could probably do weddings in my car if you like the colour grey <laughs> or graphite or whatever it's called. I can't remember what the colour is now. But but that that's the sort of thing you think, why is it cheaper for weddings than it is for funerals? Because if you have two or three cars, you're right, you could probably rack up about 7,000 quid. Whereas I, I think it's just a coffin, 150, do it up, a little bit of sawdust in it and, you know... Uh, what's it, putting some tape around the outside and a silk lining. And the companies that make all this stuff, you don't have to start cutting anything. It's all made to fit. And you just sort of staple it in with your staple gun. I've seen them doing it. I didn't go at doing it myself. And then you cover all the staples over with the piece of ribbon over the, the top. It's all, you don't really see very much of somebody. So it's it's all done quite nice. How can it be so much money? I don't know. Most of the, uh, most of the companies, though, most of the funeral companies, though, and in this country, are owned by four big insurance companies. So when you think that something is a family business, nine out of ten times, it's not. Nine out of ten times, it's not. It's actually uh, owned by an insurance company, but they like to keep the family name, so you think you're dealing with a family. But you're not. You're dealing with an insurance company. Uh, Just about it this morning. I was going to tell you, actually, about the uh, Donna and Carl who hoped to start a family. Uh, The woman who was given four hours to live hopes to start a family because her husband donated one of his kidneys. Isn't that great? I love that. So well done to them. And the football star rescued, that's Alan uh, Polido. He looked dazed and confused. Um, They stormed a house where he was being held hostage. He must have been frightened out of his life, I should imagine. Uh, 24 hours, he was snatched on Saturday as he headed home from a a party rescued by an elite police anti-kidnapping group from a house in the state capital, Cludad, Victoria. And uh, the governor said the most important thing is that he's with us. And, yes, exactly, because they, they have no hesitation in killing people uh, for, for whatever reason. Whatever reason. Uh, great feature in uh, the Express Day, Pioneer to the Package Holiday. How a place in the sun became a reality for ordinary Brits. We love it. You won't get any today, but don't worry, that doesn't make any difference. You can, um, you can sort of faff around in the rain, go dancing in the rain, and I'm sure it'll be absolutely wonderful. So you don't need to water the garden yet, but your baskets will still need watering. And I'll do it again tomorrow morning with you from four. You can download this programme as a podcast a little bit later on. You need to go to the LBC website to download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. Never miss a moment. We have a free podcast for you, uh, normally Monday through Friday, except there won't be one for yesterday because it was bank holiday and I was live till seven. Uh, the LBC app will send the free podcast to you. The other one you can find details of on the LBC website and follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. Leading Britain's conversation at seven, it's Nick Ferrari, but right now it's Hannah Vaughan-Jones in for Lisa Aziz with the morning news. This is LBC.